Welcome to the Weekend Must Watch on Intercut, the weekly show going through the movies, TV, and entertainment that people just can't cut away from. I'm your co-host, Arturo Surita, and joining me out here to get all of the movies out of the bag, coming back from the Sundance Film Festival, it's Zachary Shevich. I should say Denver Film Festival, because we, <laughs> we ended up taking a detour. Hey, shout out Film Denver. Center. Sci Film Center uh, you provided us with a beautiful movie experience. Just mm-hmm. not a really good movie. Sadly. Yeah, it was a it was a poor match of like theater quality and hospitality yeah. to like quality of movie. And maybe we'll reveal what that movie uh, is in a little bit. But shout out to Sci Film Center. Shout out to Allied Colorado for for setting this up. Um, man, the the Sci Film Center, the, the movie center over there, because we also did a little. Little spooky, spooky stuff that we ended up going to. Yeah, we I, we had a fun kind of movie themed trip back. We we stopped in Denver to watch a movie. We we drove up to the Stanley Hotel, which we learned is not where nope. they filmed The Shining, but it where he is wrote. where Stephen King wrote The Shining, and I believe where they ended up filming the Shining miniseries. For those the one who that have the seen Stephen, it. yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> For all five I, who have seen that miniseries, weirdly, also Dumb and Dumber filmed there. Yeah, so we're, like, there for all the spooky stuff. We want to see the red room on the walls, and all of a sudden we see these two doofuses, like, having these, like, random moments. <laughs> and it's all this, like, the, the most horrific memorabilia you can think of, and then Dumb and Dumber. Beautiful. Yeah. But, but, but yeah, uh, we – shout out again to the Sci Film Center. You know, I yep. think that has the best popcorn bar that I've seen in a movie theater. They, they got you set up with, like, you can salt your popcorn, but you can also put some uh, sriracha after, seasoning, yeah. some Old Bay, some Cholula. They got it all set up there. I wish every theater had that. AMC's got to bring that around. They had free uh, totes. They were giving out these Denver Film Festival orange shirts that were really nice. So in case we were ever getting lost with our crew, we knew exactly where we were the entire time. Because that yeah. was the one good thing at Sundance. I had, yeah, all of a sudden now he's a volunteer. Now. But that's a <laughs> sick volunteer shirt to have, kind yeah. of like the vertigo falling thing. It's nice. Um, Amanda wore uh, an orange beanie the entire time at Sundance. Easiest way to find whoever was with Amanda. We knew where everybody was because she was like a walking cone. So uh, <laughs> The color that, stands out. It's a good color. Um, speaking of merchandise and, and things that we've picked up along the way, uh, we had shown some of the stuff that we got from Sundance. I had some merch, shirts, uh, a book that I'd gotten. Uh, I had my poster. You've been here. I have run out of space for my posters, for my beanies. I have pretty much every beanie you can think of. I've added another hat, another mug. There is not really too much room for these things. Um, but you were able to take some stuff home yeah. from here in Chicago because you actually drove. I went to I went to the Zarita gar- garage sale or something. I, I ended up with a bunch of goodies. The thanks garage to sale you. with no garage. The yard sale <laughs> with no yard. <laughs> uh, but I already got the the holdovers. You can see a bit of it uh, display up here. It's so big. Oh, I need to like figure out how to properly you. fit it within the frame, uh, which is pretty nice. And uh, you know, it's nice also to have these for movies that you genuinely love. I don't know if I genuinely love everything that you gave uh, gave me a poster for, but that one <laughs> is going to stick up here. Uh, but it all came in this nice maestro tote you saved for me. Shout out to Bradley Cooper, who we love and make fun of. We can do both of those things. At the same time. If he knows, <laughs> so, yeah, he knows. The, what, what did you save for me? You saved for me a That's So Fetch mini poster. We saw, the, we saw the movie together. We didn't get a poster when we went to that screening. So I figured, you know, prior 
they had that that special screen. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, yeah, I mean, figure we can bring that one back out when we talk about Mean Girls. Oh, speaking of Maestro, is this a whole calendar? What's going on here? You haven't even opened it, so I thought it was a calendar, too. This is portraits. On one side, it'll be the real Leonard Bernstein. And on the other side is the period in time when they did the makeup on Bradley Cooper. They are some clean prints, bro. Ooh, you don't like them. That's beautiful. There's some really good ones on there. Yeah, that's a that's a nice souvenir. Uh, oh, also, I can't forget the Eras Tour poster. I assumed you didn't have one. I would have thrown a bracelet in there, but I had already given them all up. You know, I thought they were like really limited supply, but if you go to the right They're AMC, everywhere. they got stacks of them <laughs> got, now. They got stacks of them, yeah. yeah. Uh, one of the best movies of the year. We got the origin postcards. You're supposed to give those out with a Bible track as well so that people can donate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they, they got the QR code right there so you can pay it forward, Sound of Freedom style. And yeah, go. I think that's the that's the bottom of the bag. But, you know, we, we picked up, as you mentioned, a lot of cool stuff. I was showing off the Every Little Thing beanie and the Between the Temples ear warmers. But I also brought back my uh, Napoleon Dynamite 20th anniversary tater tots. Uh, and, and napkin, you got the poster still? The napkin was clean though. I will give you that. Yeah. It's I, I, and nice. The smell of the tater tots was really <laughs> Before nice. Before Caitlin ate them uh, You had gotten me the, uh, 20th anniversary poster. I haven't rolled it out yet, but, uh, this was the one that kept attacking you during our recording. So I'm going to have to find a nice little place for it. But, uh, no, that was yeah. pretty cool. We didn't get and to go out to. it's a dual poster. It's a who? It's a dual poster. There's two rolled oh, up so. in there. There is. There's. I thought it was like a flip poster. You're right. Nah, the nah. other one is this dance move. It's actually kind of clean. Yeah. It's like each dance move in like uh, an elements almost uh, type of spread. But we, we had a lot of really cool stuff that uh, we yeah. were able to do on this trip. I do uh, have to of... ask you a question, just to, speaking Go. of souvenirs and how we store them all. Like we, you and I have gone to enough film festivals that we've picked up, you know, 10, 20, maybe 30 of these dangly laminated passes and stuff. Mm -hmm. How do you store them? I, I don't know. what I've started hanging them on, on different areas around my desk, but now it's overflowing. I got I got a whole stack of old ones here <laughs> from other film festivals. Look at this. I got at least three years of Sundance in here. I don't know what to do. They're just taking over my space. I don't even want to know your wire situation if that's what your bag is like. <laughs> I used to put them all, uh, you can almost, you can kind of see it on my, uh, I kind of have like a lamp, uh, and then they just started like giving the, the lamp scoliosis at a certain yeah. point, it was just tipping over, so I've kind of gathered them all and put them, I have this massive box with all of my playbills, which, uh, I don't know if you saw it when you came over, but obviously I pulled out the one for a movie we will be covering because I had seen it on Broadway, so all of my playbills, um, all of my badges, they're there. Because you're right, there's too many. I also include my music one, so I have a lot of Lala stuff on there. It's too mm -hmm. much. And then I saw yours was a little light. But, you know, every time we go and we uh, – so sometimes we get tickets printed. Very rarely mm -hmm. nowadays, but sometimes we do. When we do the wait list, we get those little, like, tickets that'll uh, give you an admittance. And then you kind of, like, write down, yeah, those. So I have so much stuffed in mine. I don't even know if you can see it. That – each pass like, ends up being thicker than what it should be. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's where I, I, I've been storing all of mine. I also like to do – I don't know if you do this, but on the um, the lanyard, I put whatever pins. So, like, oh, I had cool. gotten that one from the Meow Wolf thing, right, which is a whole right. other thing of merch that we had gotten as well. I gave my sister the avocado uh, coin purse. Oh, Loved nice. it. Loved Great. it. <laughs> worth the, worth the gag? 
worth it, 100%. Yeah. Um, I don't know what she liked more, the money or the avocado. But <laughs> I, I, I was thinking of putting like an actual avocado uh, seed. I think that's what Alina had said she wanted to do. But the pit. Uh, we, we didn't want to get it too dirty. But Meow Wolf is a whole <laughs> collection of stuff that we could talk about as well. Um, but yeah, I, I like storing them all in one place. That way I can like look back through the years and it's easy for me to go find a playbill. Easy for me to go find um, not just our, our press pass, but if I keep like a calendar or something in there. Then I know what movies played pertaining to, I don't know, whatever festival and such. But um, you bought some stuff from Yawolf as well, because that was another experience that we did not have lined up until, and, and it is movie related, there was a short at Sundance where the guy was the inventor of Giphy. Everyone's yeah. used Giphy. Like everyone's grandma has probably used Giphy. Um, and he made a live installation called the Pizza Rat something, the, the Pizza, Pizza Pal something. Pals. Plays and them. it's in a place called the uh, uh, the Meow Wolf Convergence Station in Denver. And it turns out yeah. that there's multiple of these Meow Wolf places. I sounded really dumb pitching to these guys. You, I want to go to this like adult pizza place thing it, th- that doesn't even sell pizza, mind you. Um, but it, it seems like an art exhibit. Turns out y'all knew what Meow Wolf was. I knew what the Pizza Pals was. We're like, let's go hit this place up. It is a fascinating um, art installation. Yeah, immersive in experience. World. You're following a storyline. It feels like it's three different universes that have, as it says, converged into one. Y'all had explained that there was an uh, an interesting take over in Las Vegas where you're kind of like in a 80s grocery store. And then it becomes yeah. like a fallout thing it's like as that, you enter secret doors. Yeah, it's like that set from White Noise, but also like an immersive puzzle. I don't, I don't know. It's I really hard to explain what Meow Wolf is, but it it is so, it's just like, you can dive into it. It really is like, really rewards curiosity and and just the amount of work and detail that goes into it is so overwhelming and impressive. We thought we had finished everything and then inside one of the installations was another installation within the installation. We realized, (laughs) I don't think we're on the outer side of it yet. So I'm very curious to visit a couple of the other ones. And if y'all have done so, I'm curious to know your tips, tricks, all that good stuff. Because even the food impressed us. The food was pretty decent. Yeah. They had some good beers. They had some good drinks, desserts, all that stuff. So uh, I brought back a mug. Uh, I'm sticking with the red rum for this one uh but that other one's pretty interesting it's like a 3d mug uh but that, that that's pretty much our intro right now in terms of what we were able to do in recapping for to. this trip uh obviously we have all of our sundance coverage that you can check out from our awards to our top 10 that's coming up to all of our individual reviews that we did even did a live stream over there from sundance we were we were busy i don't know if you got the crash after coming back especially you two who were driving alina felt it all day yesterday yeah, I, I I'm was coasting. I was <laughs> I'm the like, least productive I've been in weeks yesterday. <laughs> just just sat around doing very, very little. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it always happens where we just go so hard at these festivals. You know, I caught 60 fi- some. I caught 50, which is light for me. And even even so that plus our, our driving across the country and, you know, we, we always find different things to do. You were showing me any every restaurant you could in our limited time in Chicago. So it's just it's an exhausting couple of weeks. And it's it's hard to, like, find the motivation to go see Miller's Girl when there's only one showing in my area. <laughs> You have to you have to make it out for the Jenna Ortega <laughs> movie that seems to be on uh, Twitter X all over the place uh, in cam quality. Um, yo, I I luckily we do this thing for a living, which is watch movies. So I was able to just uh, help Lita get a little bit better yesterday. Ordered her some soup and then just binge watch so much stuff. 
but why is it the most miserable stuff out there? The darkest HBO shows, the darkest movies. Like you said, Miller's Girl is not necessarily a walk in the park either, uh, but we're going to get into all of those movies now since we have a massive breakdown. Uh, so without further ado, let's talk about all of the new stuff that is out in movie theaters all over the place because um, we've had a pretty interesting box office, I'd say, for the beginning of the year. I don't think we've had the worst of January as we've had in prior years. I think it's been pretty decent. Uh, but beginning with the most recent one, the one we got to see at the Denver Society, hey. the one that has had so much speculation, there has been conspiracy theories uh, forwards and backwards for this movie. We made it out to Denver for this one. Zach. Should anyone even make it out to the theater for Argos? I'm not so sure it it really merits the watch, especially at that really, really cumbersome two hours, almost 20 minutes on top of that. You know, I I do. There's there's been a pretty strong negative critical reaction to this movie that I at times feels like a bit excessive to me because I think the movie is mostly mostly okay there's definitely patches where it is a lot worse than okay <laughs> but like it's a Matthew Vaughn action comedy so it's snappy there's fun performances I think both Sam Rockwell and Bryce Dallas Howard are doing like decent work here and are, are, are pretty regularly entertaining it's nice to see them get this kind of spotlight but it's just this story that kind of goes nowhere and takes forever to get there. It's extremely predictable in many ways. And it also like, it's one of those things where I feel like a lot of this film would sound really good on paper. You read about these action sequences where cars are driving across rooftops or, you know, someone's skate ice skating over crude oil. It's like, that sounds badass, but it all just looks incredibly fake, incredibly digital in a way that really removes any of the, the tension or joy out of it. You know, like one of the, one of the things that's really fun about seeing an action movie is the sense that you're watching these people do these really incredible feats and you absolutely never feel that way watching this movie it is the most like uh sterile action movie i've seen in quite a long time and that's saying something for how sterile matthew van matthew vaughn action can sometimes feel his action has gotten worse but somehow more creative is that fair mm-hmm. to say yeah like, i mean like there are you're s- mentioning the crude thing the crude oil one it, it's cool just yeah. doesn't feel like the best it could possibly be directed. If that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it feel it feels like you know if you took longer to work on a sequence like that, maybe if it was in the hands of um, Chad Stahelski, who would like actually adhere to the practical realities of that type of situation, you could do something really, really cool with that idea. But it just like the the execution of it, it just feels so fake and. It's one of those things where it's the it's the style of movie where you're never really questioning the safety of the lead characters because they are so um, un like impenetrable and in uh, unable to be damaged throughout this. They they just always are winning. They never seem like to have a difficulty with their situation. And sure, part of that is just like a trope of being a a, a super spy or whatever. But they never really sell that aspect of the story either. It, like, it just kind of feels like they're trying to marry these two styles and it never feels like it coheres. Were you a fan of Bullet Train? No, 
which okay, it's the know, uh, same action I think team who did Bullet Train, so that could probably makes a lot of sense. A lot to of me. action sequences there. <clears throat> I will give them credit for this. Um, uh, not credit in the weird way, but the stunt coordinator I think had passed midway through the shoot. So I'm giving them credit for the fact that like the leader of of the heavy choreographed movie did kind of leave them midway through and they kind of had mm-hmm. to handle it. So I think that uh, a lot of the the scenes where they go over the top are impressive, I guess, in that sense. I don't think that they're as good as, say, I, I don't know how you felt about his early stuff, like with Kingsman or he did Kick-Ass as well, right? Yeah. Um, those action sequences, the church scene. I know there's been a big divide, especially uh, the more that those movies have kind of aged, especially with the other sequels, how people have felt about those, whether they think it's good action, whether they think it's, again, like you're saying right now, yeah. this fakey, almost like you could tell this is very CGI. They're not really completing the punches. They may not even be in the same room. Um, was there I a think, point where you thought those action, that action was better? I definitely think the choreography worked for me a lot better in movies like Kick-Ass and movies like Kingsman. And I think maybe the the digital look of those movies felt a little bit more novel at the time where, you know, people weren't yet worn down by that style in a way that saturated. Yeah. Yeah. People have that style has aged poorly, but I still think there's like a creativity in how it's executed. And it, I still feel like it feels a little bit more visceral, like particularly Mm kick-ass feels actually like, like people are, taking hits and like things are, are landing in a way. Um, while I really hate the scene in Kingsman that everybody talks about, I think it's like well executed. I just think story-wise thematically it's garbage, but yeah. it looks pretty good. Uh, nothing uh, looks... the bar scene, right? The bar scene in kick-ass from the first, or, uh, Kingsman. That one was pretty good. And I think that's a, yeah. a great usage of CGI and the way that he mixes things in as well. This feels like an ad for an Apple product. Yeah. Knowing that it's an Apple music, it's almost like they're (laughs) testing out what the next liquid retina display is going to be because Mm -hmm. there are some overly colorful scenes uh, like you were mentioning stuff where you're seeing them spin around in slow-mo and in all these different frame rates where it's almost like a technical feat, not so much an emotional cinematic uh, thing that people are are, are probably going to be looking for. I did get moments watching this where I was reminded a bit of uh, Rebel Moon and thinking, like, why does this no, have to be in slow motion CGI right now? Yeah. I'm not going to say it's that it's bad. It's not that bad. It's not that it's bad. Not that bad. It, it, but there are Rebel moments. Moon, you could damn near see the uh, Apple boxes that they were yeah. sitting on. Uh, but this, I, I agree with you there. You could tell that it's very much a COVID movie because of the way that a lot of the things are framed, the amounts of characters that you really have in one scene, and you can tell that the extras were stitched in there. Um, did any of them stand out to you? Because obviously you have, like, a double thing going on here and where you have uh, Bryce Ellis Howard's character as this author who's trying to write her next book, but then you have what I feel has been a plot already mm-hmm. in multiple things. Am I mistaken with this? Did they not do this in the Sandra Bullock movie? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like it, it's, <laughs> like, it feels derivative in, in a lot of ways. Yeah, that the author is the only person who's going to be able to come up with whatever uh, thing that they need to figure out in the real, um, what is it, yeah. espionage world. So a or spy that comes the, to protect pers- yeah, or even the way that they ultimately go with this story, and it's like you know, with the, with some elements of like not knowing who you are, like that also feels incredibly played out. Uh-huh. And it's I don't know. Um, Did you care for any of those characters? I, I thought Sam Rockwell was decent. I'm yeah. a Bryce Dallas Howard fan. I'm not saying that this is their best work. No, I think they're the only two who kind of 
come away from this movie like positively. Everybody yes. else is very much just kind of there, pretty much in paycheck mode. Like Henry Cavill maybe has like moments here or there, but his character just kind of makes no sense when he decides to show up or not. But you know, Sam Rockwell's a really charming guy and he gets to play a little bit like a little bit looser, you know, he mm -hmm. does his thing where he dances in every movie. Same um, name dance. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it really is Bryce Dallas Howard who I think kind of kind of steals the show. She gets to show a lot of different sides of uh how oh, dynamic sure. she is and yep. you know I think a lot of the joy in this movie where it exists rests on her face and watching her react in the moment. Like they they seem to know that too because they'll do a lot of slow motion cuts to it. But you know she she is very charming. She's really likable and I I was rooting for her in a way, even as I was growing tired of the movie. Mm -hmm. um, Dua Lipa in another role. And surprisingly, not terrible. No, I, if you're although, comparing her to like John Cena and a bunch of these people who have been in multiple roles, I, I'm actually kind of surprised by her. Yeah, I mean, she totally like held her own. Granted, like her part is not much bigger than what you've nope. seen in the trailer. But like she's totally makes sense in this kind of a movie and is pretty, uh, you know, uh, she's... Captivating for her part, I guess. Yeah, Samuel L. Jackson definitely uh, very much underused for what they needed him in this yeah. movie. Some funny he, bits, not too big. He definitely was on set for two days tops. 100%. That's and the other thing. Just watching the game, too, because that's really yeah. what it was. <laughs> and that's definitely, like, another problem with this movie is it doesn't feel like any of these actors are in the same room for a lot of this. I'm pretty sure no. Ariana DeBose has never met any of the other cast members. Probably um, not. The movie. Also, itself, you heard about the song. The she uh, had been cast, and then they went and uh, in the middle of filming, she won this little thing called an Oscar. So oh. he called her up, and he goes, uh, "Yeah, so we're going to have to record a song." They got uh, what was a boy George in there, and that's what created that electric whatever boogaloo yeah, energy song. The boss gets a song that plays over the credits. She and, gets and a couple songs in the two movie. Two songs, yeah. Ah, uh, but uh, good for her. Alina really likes the song. I, I've seen it kind of chart, I guess. I don't care for it too much, but it, it's not the worst part to come. For, it's not the worst thing to come out of the movie. Um, he did say when approaching this movie, because um, there is like a post credit scene that we won't get into too much spoilers. But obviously oh, knowing the biggest franchise that he has and he does leave this in a cliffhanger to follow up. He had mentioned this being a movie for his daughters and specifically that it is the female Kingsman. How do you feel about that? I mean... There aren't like a lot of women in this movie to call it the female Kingsman, right? It's still most sorry, of the action sorry. is he he actually called it the antidote. The to antidote Kingsman? to Kingsman? The antidote to Kingsman. Like I don't know how you um compliment your previous franchise by going like I need a female version of this, <laughs> then call it the antidote in which you're kind of like belittling your like apologizing for what yeah. you've done with the Kingsman franchise. Which a there are bizarre. some apologize there are some apologies he owes for that franchise. Yeah. I yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I haven't kept up with Kingsman enough to even know what he means it by got, an uh, antidote to it, but uh definitely was not like a cure for any of my ailments, for yeah. sure. Uh two two more things before uh, I want to move on uh, or at least unless you got anything else, but uh can we talk about how nothing feels real in this movie because they are never on location? Like this is one of the most CGI'd blue screen for filling in for Shanghai kind of movies I've ever seen. Uh, and you said the budget was $200 million to never be there. 
<laughs> Which brings us to the other, other interesting aspect is that despite being the number one movie at the box office over the weekend, uh, it only grossed $17 million. I think it was $35 million worldwide, which is less than a quarter of that $200 million budget that they got uh, from Apple. Which granted, like, if there's a company out there that can blow a little extra money on stuff, Apple's Apple. probably it. But It'll come with your phone. Do do you think this is like a a big disaster for Apple? Do you think this is just um, a write off as people buy up Apple Vision Pros? Like, is this just another? We need to sell another ten thousand Vision Pros, and nobody will worry about this. Yeah, that's literally all it is. This is just add-ons to everything else that they have going, right? Prime yeah. has been going on since like 2010. They're barely making it a thing where they're charging you for ads. Apple hasn't cared. They've been throwing out Apple TV subscriptions, right, with whatever device you buy, even if it didn't mean anything. You can get a HomePod. You can't play Apple TV stuff out that. They would give you an Apple uh, a whole month of uh, Apple TV Plus for free. I think what's smart is that they're actually rolling out the movies the way they should be. This is a conversation you and I have been having. They are beating, they are mopping Netflix when it comes to this. Netflix does not know how to release their movies. They had some of the biggest pickups out of Sundance. How do we feel about that? Every single movie that they got out of Sundance, you and I are worried that it's not going to play. Now you got Apple over here who was able to do something really incredible when it came uh, last year to Killers of the Flower Moon. All of that did great. Now that they have Argyle, they actually have a movie out there that is actually going to play. It also has a soundtrack. And then on top of that, they'll be able to have it on Apple TV Plus whenever it's ready to go. This was a movie that Matthew Vaughn was so passionate about. He funded it himself. Did you know that, Zach? So much, so much of it that the cat is even his. Yeah, even the cat. <laughs> Both A, it was still his money, so that CGI cat model should definitely go back to him. When it's all said and done. So definitely, uh, it, it wasn't Vaughn who attacked us there because I don't think he has any more money after that box office numbers. But going out of uh, off of what you were saying in terms of Apple, I think that this is just going to be uh, a big boost for them in terms of just having something that can play in their wheelhouse. I was uh, looking at the uh, a show we'll be talking about in a little bit, which is the uh, Masters of the Air. You were talking about the Vision head headset, right? These are worlds that I think they've already set up to be able to be viewed in that way. Like, this is just, they're treating movies like apps. They're just mini worlds for you to be able to test out on your iPhone, on your, like you said, Vision Pro, on your new MacBook. And with the colors that they have here, they, they literally look like Apple commercials. There is a fight that happens in this movie that I'm pretty sure was the intro liquid retina display commercial that they released. So, uh I don't think they're losing any money because I think with the soundtrack that they have out there, they're making it in other ways. So it's one of those. Our yeah, I mean, it's it's all ads for, in the end for their products, right? It, it, that's what Apple TV Plus was in the first place. That's why they're smart with it. So um, I would recommend you waiting for the Apple TV Plus free trial when you get your next <laughs> yeah. iPhone. Um, you don't need to leave to the theater for this. Yeah, absolutely. It's It's... A vi this is a classic like fold your laundry movie because you do not need to be paying attention to half this stuff. There are some moments that are kind of fun. Sam Rockwell is fun. Bryce Dallas Howard is fun. They use the weird new AI learning Beatles song and say, "Oh, this was this was always our song, even though this ca it came out this year." That's what I was uh, saying, bro. I came out of it. I was like, they really rewrote this to be like a song that's been out. I was like, this just came out. Yeah. 
This can't be in a music box. It makes no sense. Yeah. Um, you know how you put like trolls on for the kids because there's a bunch of like bright colors and they'll be distracted. Whoever that adult is in your life, you all know who it is. This is that movie. Put it on at whatever party that you need them distracted. Argyle will will be the thing that helps you. Yeah. So that is perfect. out in theaters if you care for it. But there is another one. That you and I got to catch before we went to Sundance that had a lot of people talking, and that is a movie called Mean Girls. That is not an adaptation of the movie. It is an adaptation of the Broadway musical, which is an adaptation of the movie. And then we saw the movie, and we're like, nah, this is straight up the 2004 one because you're literally ripping lines and you got Tina Fey. It's the same thing again. Uh, I think it's a rights issue, which we'll get into about how much of it can you retain depending on who the writer is, because you even reminded me that this is also based off of a book. So you got mean girls on top of mean girls on top of mean girls out of all the mean girls content that we've gotten out there. Where does this rank rank for you? I know you haven't seen the, the the play yet, but uh, especially in terms of the original uh, in terms of this one, actually having songs, where does it sit for you? It definitely ranks below the original for me, and I think a lot of that has to do with this one's deference to the original, because it seems like the thing that they're really trying to highlight here are, like, we brought back all your favorite lines, but we kind of, like, underlined them, highlighted them, put a spotlight over them so you make sure you you see it. Like Literally you go, put a spotlight over one of them. It was embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's stuff like you, you go Glenn Coco, which, like, kind of organically develops into this, like, hilarious that. little joke because it's just kind of a little throwaway moment in the right? original. Gets, like, repeated and repeated and, and like... Like made into a big musical moment because people remember, yeah. And I, I'm I'm really struggling to think like, wh- how would somebody who isn't familiar with the original think about this one? Because it feels in a lot of ways like they're just kind of like rushing through the story. They're reminding you, oh yeah, remember this part happened in the original. So let's get back to the musical stuff, and it it, it doesn't feel. The story doesn't feel as organic as it did in the 2004 version. Uh, And beyond that, there's just like very little that I can think of in this year's version that improved upon the original, right? Like none of the songs are are that catchy. I I tried putting a couple on in the car to see if you would even notice them, but they're just so – they're so background. Um, And they're – you know, there's a moment where they kind of – make Regina George's downfall intertwined with the talent show a little bit more, which maybe streamlines the plot a little bit. Aside from that, I just feel like everything sort of lessens the impact of that original movie. The The mean girls don't feel quite as uh, reflective of, you know, actual high school dynamics. It feels less insightful about youth culture. The characters are significantly less distinctive. You know, Renee Rapp might be the only one who really kind of jumps off the screen, but even so, I feel like her Regina George isn't nearly as interesting as Rachel McAdams' Regina George. I didn't have a bad time watching it, but I just didn't really see a reason for it to exist. I think Renee Rapp is the best part of the movie. I think she yeah. rivals uh, Rachel McAdams. I, I don't think she's better than Rachel McAdams, but I also think I have a lot in the bank for Rachel McAdams. And also yeah. the career that she's had, she's just started. Renee has just been, you know, killing it with uh, press interviews. And obviously she was also in Mean Girls, I think, in the same part, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so she kind of has that history with it. I thought she was really good in the role. She stood out a lot. I thought the changes they made for her character as well also really worked. This feels like, you remember the early uh, 
probably 2000s, 2010s, when they would make like a superhero movie that was already made 10 years ago, but they were going right. to lose the rights. So right. they just start like rehashing everything that they need to, to make sure that they have it. That's what this feels like for the 04 movie. And I want to make sure it's the 04 movie. Uh, like, what is the point of it? They, mm-hmm. like you were mentioning, they're saying lines just to make sure that they have it on the record on the screen again. So that, uh, the money keeps going their way. It's like a reminder of, you can print new merch. Of, yeah. Instead of creating a new line for people to repeat, they're worried like who creates that new line and who gets that money. So they're like repeating lines. Like it, I understand the the iconography of it, but like, why aren't you creating something new? You created new music, right? But even the music is still, for the most part, staying the same. I don't think they did anything too interesting that they didn't do in the play. And that's insane yeah. that you have the medium of film to edit in post-production and the play did a better job with the musical staging. And they're limited to like literally being right, right in front of you. Uh, and most of these songs deal with tech. Uh, I think we've had... Pr- um, other movies, I would even say one of our favorite shows, American Vandal, uh, was able to use that TikTok, Instagram feel a lot better. There's something really recent. I know there's a lot of Sundance stuff, but but something in the middle where they were able to investigate something through TikTok. It's probably something like Missing, um, where they right. were able to showcase one sequence all in one go. And I thought the Halloween party here, the song was not good enough to have bland visuals. No. But then they I- give you bland visuals. Yeah, I like the best songs in this movie is one in the closet. Why is it in the closet? <laughs> right, it's right. In the closet when, next to socks. Like, they, they really do struggle to make uh, these musical numbers visually interesting. Pop. I did like the one bit in Sexy Halloween where they incorporated some of like the TikTok choreography where people do like the seamless cut stuff, but that's literally like a fleeting moment. In I a, know it was your favorite song. That was the one Zach had on AB repeat. It's literally the only one whose title I could remember, which I think speaks speaks poorly of the movie. Uh, but just those musical sequences, you know, they do this thing. First of all, they they shoot all the musical sequences in widescreen, which just, I don't know. I, I So when it, I take you to this theater, specifically because I'm like, bro, 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 it's the one Dolby that's going to fit the screen the way it should right. be. Then we get there, and there's like a black border around the screen, nerd stuff, I know. But what's yeah. the point of it? This movie changes aspect, aspect ratios a ridiculous amount of time. Sometimes interesting. Sometimes like you're saying, what's the point the, Yeah. So the movie's like, why? Like it's tall when it's regular and then it'll do the black bars when they're singing. For the musical then, numbers. Yeah. Yeah. And then obviously there's like cell phone footage that they're going to do a lot of, I don't know. It, it, it's it disorienting a, a little bit. It's disorienting. Yeah. It, and it would have been fine if they did something more interesting with it. And I just right. don't think that they were like as creative as they could be. Yeah. Uh, if there are moments in the, um, Ben Platt one. Terrible. Just terrible movie. Just horrible. Dear Evan Hansen. Thank you. You already know. Dear Evan Hansen, if that movie was more creative than you were, there's a problem. There's yeah, a problem. that's the thing, right? Like, they do a lot of tracking shots. And look, I'm a, I'm a sucker for a good one shot, but I, these are not good one shots. Like, they really, the camera moves so lethargically that I feel like it struggles to keep up with the different aspects of the dance they numbers. so much. Yeah, you you feel like you're catching like either the very end of of somebody doing an impressive dance beat or like just sort of glancing over it. Yeah. And it, I don't know, it just like to me, it doesn't match the momentum of the songs. It feels so slow and plodding and it, you know, there's there's energy in this musical and it's not For reflected sure. in the way they shoot it. 
Mm-hmm. Because you'll have those moments. There's this uh, hallway one where I think that they're prepping the plan on how they're going to get back to Regina. For those of you who don't know the story of Mean Girls, you have a new girl from South Africa, which has been a reoccurring joke in this past week about South Africa. Uh, <laughs> people not knowing who is. Shout out Kirby Enthusiasm. Who comes from South Africa. Um, and she gets entwined with the Mean Girls and eventually tries to come up with a plan to take over the Mean Girls. And in particular, take down the, the biggest one of them all, which is Regina George. Um they have this massive song in that hallway sequence that we're talking about where so much is happening on screen. And like you mentioned, it moves so slow mm-hmm. that it's like you're rushing and uh, you're, you're dragging at the same time. It's this weird tempo that they have going on with it. Uh, you, you talked about my girl immediately as we left. Angry Rice is a great actress. Angry Rice. They just have not given her the role that she <laughs> deserves. She has been the side character in these Spider-Man movies. She was great in The Nice Guys. She was fantastic in Mare of Easttown. I'll even give her this Honor Society one. You could see a little bit of the spunk that she can uh, really put forward if you give her a good script. It's rough. She's already playing an American when it's supposed to be a South African. And then this girl, I think, is British, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but yeah, there was a lot that was uh, not going to help her out. But I, I did think Moana in the movie was really good. I thought her yeah. songs uh, were decent. She also I, has a, a, like a fluffed up storyline from the original. Yeah, I mean, I think honestly a big problem with, with the Angry Rice role is they really, in trying to make it so deferential to the original plus adding in these kind of drab songs, they really remove any hints of a personality from her character. Like mm-hmm. the Lindsay Lohan version of this character, like was kind of a nerd and it was kind of awkward. And, there was and she's just there, more yeah, like yeah. a, Angry's more like a blank slate in this mm-hmm. movie, uh, which, you know, may, maybe she could have brought a little bit more, but I think it's really the writing letting her down. Yeah, because she's just cosplaying what was already out there. And that's what it feels yeah. like. It, it feels like you're watching a cover band and the cover band does a decent job with it. But it, it, at the end of the day, it's still a cover band. You can tell that they are saying somebody else's jokes, and I wish that they would have put a little bit, I don't know, more originality, a new Glenn Coco, something different that the new generation could have gotten. But, uh, hey, the new generation still has the 04 version, so catch that if you can, and if you want a mixture of that in the Broadway play, then you have Mean Girls playing in theaters. Should be on Paramount+, Plus, if I'm not mistaken, uh, eventually, so keep your eyes out for that. But going from Mean Girls to a Miller's Girl. I told Zach he should have watched it here. He goes, no, 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 I'll see it in New York. It'll be playing everywhere. It's New York, baby. (laughs) We have Miller's Girl playing around the clock here in Chicago, Zach. Let me tell you. You walk into a place, they're they're playing it in the, uh, what is it, McGuffin? (laughs) The McGuffins. You even got a <laughs> just on all the TVs, yeah, yeah. Uh, which that would actually be terrible considering what happens in this movie. Um, <laughs> you, you didn't get the chance to experience Miller's Girl, but I know you weren't really keen to it as much, and neither did it seem like anybody else was because you had the box office, and I don't think it was uh, too high up there. Um, but it is an erotic uh, school thriller. It is a little <laughs> drama about a teacher and a student in which she's trying to. Um, really make a name for herself and her friend decides to tell her that if you don't have experience in certain things maybe make it up so there is a relationship that is happening between her and her teacher and it may or may not be made up what is the line has a line bit crossed even if it's not the line that she may be fictionalizing for this novel for this book that she is writing 
I will tell you this, Zach, you and I know how movies work, right? Whether it is mm-hmm. happening in the movie or not, if they film it, that or that is shots that are being displayed in a theater that people are clearly resonating with recording. It has been fascinating to see that it's not just like the slots light, you know, like the, the actual cam that's out there that someone records and they put up on the boom sites. No, I have seen different angles of these same scenes. There is a kissing scene involving yeah. Jenna Ortega, and I'll well, just look. say that there is a p- pigtail ponytail bed scene yeah look people any, any are getting their kissing personal. scene involving a young starlet is going to get all the the thirsty twitter accounts i mean I, the amount of messages i got after we saw the fallout early at south by like is there a how kissing is scene how is, like, how is she yeah dude, it, is, it is it is ridiculous but uh this is a movie that if you are a jenna ortega fan yeah she is wearing nothing but schoolgirl outfits the entire time they have conversations where they're whispering like it's asmr uh i, I had no idea that uh Gideon Adlin, one of the Adlin sisters, was also in this as well, ah. and she's also been on a streak on, uh, honestly, since Blockers, kind of playing the the teenager who's kind of like pushing to do, or pushing her friends to do something that they probably shouldn't, and she really is the instigator in this movie because she also is kind of flirting with her own teacher, which is Bashir. He's been in several things. I thought he was great in Southside. You may remember him from Top Gun. He's a great character actor in mm-hmm. there. Um, it's not a great movie, and it's really it's like a cat person. It's a movie just trying to push people's buttons, just trying to be provocative for provocative sake. I have not heard the director talk about it or have seen the other director's works, if I'm not mistaken. It's her first. So, uh, look, a movie that I think will make a splash the moment it's out on VOD and people will give it the time of day there. It doesn't seem like people are seeking it out in theaters. So if you're curious for it, you may be the only one sitting there uh, for Miller's Girl in theaters now i'd give it i'd wait for streaming to catch it some interesting performances here i understand the steaminess of it but it's not really saying anything yeah uh so this film was shot back in summer fall 2022 a little bit before wednesday was released on netflix Hmm. and in a lot of ways this feels a bit like a a pre-wednesday fame role for for jenna or or she has some wednesday outfits in there i'll tell you that (laughs) Probably yeah, just gave um, him set. <laughs> right. I'm yeah, I'm not so sure she would take this role uh in the year twenty twenty three, let alone now. So there you go. That's Miller Girl playing in theaters. I would say if you wanted something a little darker, stay at home for the more lighthearted but better movie Orion and the Dark. Did you get the chance to catch this one? Yes, and I kind of loved it. <laughs> I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. I thought that this was a little bit lower, this score over here. I was just like, wait, no. Ah, dang, I was kind of looking forward to this. I catch a little teaser. I thought the teaser was hilarious. It's the intro. I start playing the movie. I had completely forgotten who wrote it. So so go in knowing that. I am just enjoying this with nothing in the back of my head because I'm like, this is just the new Netflix movie, like a clause or something that they put out. The animation looks clean. It's this very funny story of this kid named Orion who is scared of everything. There is like this man has his parents looking out for him because he is scared of the dark. He is scared of talking to like the the, the kids in his classroom because anything that could go wrong will go wrong. Yeah. To the point that it ends up being like the best opening intro that I've seen in an animation because it's almost like a short film of just the things that he dislikes. And I thought that totally. was perfect. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's totally random aside, but we recently got uh, coffee together. And remember, I was looking through that like picture book and it's a picture book about oh, like the tea thing. Yeah. Yeah. All the different uh, places in the world where they drink tea. And it, it does a thing that a lot of children's books do, do where it's like, uh, 
this this person drinks tea this way. This person drinks tea that way. You you see that in children's books where it's like it's almost like a list of things just to introduce children to different concepts or like you know H is for horror, L is for lying, stuff like that. That that's what the beginning of this movie feels like. It's just sort of like systematically going through these things with really creative uh, visualizations. And I, I don't know. I, I love that sort of children's book aspect of it. And the anxiety of it, because it's like, yeah, yeah, he's overdoing it. There is no reason someone needs three nightlights. Right. But you understand where this anxiety comes from with not only the way that his parents raise him, but like his bullies bully him so bad that when they move away, they send him postcards. That's funny. <laughs> That's hilarious. Right. Yeah. I'm over here rewatching it because Alina comes downstairs and I'm like, no, you got to see this intro. It's incredible that I'm like quoting the bully where he says wear pants much it's funny i i think it's cute it's adorable it's able to showcase the anxiety that a kid goes through yeah and then it does the inside out thing and i won't lie i did end up enjoying the movie overall but i thought it was such a strong intro and the moment that the darkness comes in because he tells Mm -hmm. you that that's his biggest fear that inside out element of showcasing you know night and day you know that pixar take of making them the uh, living metaphor it wasn't it stopped being as strong as that intro was for me. Like it was on, on, on its way to being almost like a four and a half. Totally. And I ended up settling a little bit lower. That was for me. I don't know if you felt any differently, especially with the voice no, acting that we have here. The, the, the parts where they anthropomorphize like different things that are scary. It is definitely the weakest aspect of it. Like I don't need to go yeah. on like adventures with the concept of quiet. I, I agree with you that I really, I really enjoy that. Yeah, no, like, it's cute. It's all cute. I, I'm not saying that it was, like, bad, but I, I was like you in just really feeling, like, impressed and kind of swept up in the style of the beginning. Like, it even has sort of, like, the, yeah. the delayed title card and stuff like that, too. Um, and, and, yeah, just, like, getting into the idea of, like, the world as this big, scary place when you're a little kid and all the different things that could potentially... Uh, scare you, but ultimately, like being scared of them prevents you from living your life. Mm-hmm. And then it just is like uh, it gets into a bit, a little bit more of a stereotypical, like magical adventures with magical creatures type of story. I do think though that the kind of came back around and won me over in the end because beyond that, it has this very interesting structural quality to it that I don't necessarily feel like we should spoil, but. I think the ways in which they were able to sort of tell tell the story through different sets of characters and hint at like a larger um, idea going on than just the story of this one little boy and what he's scared of ultimately was like really winning and sweet. I, I felt very touched by the end of it. Like, I, I, you know, you see it coming a little a little bit, but it is so smart and, and kind of beautiful. Yeah. Uh, do you remember what this green one was? Again, they're, they're kind of like inside out characters, but this was was like it one anxiety? Was, it was like whispering different things into people's ears, and it did yeah. like this cute. It did this one where it was like, okay, it's not working. I have to bring out the big guns, and it was like stuff from a person's past, like would really get them in the middle of the night. Insomnia, right? So whatever it was. They did have elements that I thought worked. There was like a yeah. creative way of looking at it. Like, what are those things that keep you up at night? I, I also agree with you that they have this literal storytelling aspect. To yes. It, um, without spoiling it too much that at first, I'm not going to lie. I was like, okay, interesting. I thought they did too much with it. Really? I'm like, okay, it feels like a fourth wall way to be able to acknowledge certain things. 
Then a midway point happened. Mm-hmm. Then a line happened that he presents to his parents when he's with said character that I thought was hysterical. Then it starts tying it in uh, in, a, in a very thematic way. Then they like overdo the premise of the storytelling bit. And you're right. It's somehow it's this thing. It comes where back like, around. It, 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 you have to overdo it for it to come back around. And it yeah. actually does. I thought it was impressive. And yeah, it, it lost me a little bit when, when you get introduced to the, to all of these different elements there. But yeah, I, I like you also really liked it by the end and was surprised again, having forgotten that it's written by someone who would understand these things. It really is inside out by way of. Charlie yeah, Kaufman. This exactly. is a man who uh, has always made adult things, but I think he's really able to get into the to the psyche of like, I don't know, your 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 most purest way of reacting to something, and, and the fact yeah. that this is a movie where you're in his mind the entire time. I thought it was very well written, and I mean, went really well with the animation. You think about films like Being John Malkovich. You think about films like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Even more recently, films like Anomalisa. And yeah. I'm thinking of ending things. He's very good at understanding the human condition and sort of the way that our brain responds to different, you know, challenging I- ideas. Like he's just really good at diving into the weird ways that our brains operate. Mm-hmm. And you know, it, it's really exciting to see him apply that kind of style to a kid's movie into something that is a lot less serious and a lot less, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, forlorn than most Mm -hmm. of his work. So I thought that was pretty good. If you are interested in Orion in the Dark, it is out on Netflix. Yeah, and probably on a billboard it. that they're not going to take down somewhere <laughs> near you because that's that's what tends to happen to these Netflix animations. Uh, another one going back to theaters. I don't know if you had the chance to catch this one, The Book of Clarence, which no, is out on VOD today. So okay. if you did not get to catch this in the theater, there is a chance you'll be able oh, to catch it at home. Go do that right now. Um, I was really looking forward to this one because it comes from director James Samuel, who made a fantastic movie in The Heart of They Fall. I thought this was an incredible Western that had a very updated sensibility to it. The man also did the score. He had Jay-Z on there. It was an incredible soundtrack on top of it. He comes back with another really good ensemble telling the story of in the time of Jesus when there was another guy who just so happens to be the brother of one of the 12 disciples who realizes, you know, maybe I could do my own thing. Maybe make some money on the side. I got some debts I got to pay. I'm going to try to be my own miracle worker. Um, The thing with it, though, is that the, the trailer pitches you this idea of him doing this kind of like swindling thing, but the movie doesn't present that to you till like halfway in. So mm-hmm. it is a movie that is taking its time just trying to ride. And I wish I, I had realized that a little bit sooner because I think I may enjoy it more on the second watch. I was surprised that it took so long to get to what the premise of the movie was, but this is really trying to live in this world. It is shot beautifully. They have gone all out with the sets, the costumes. It really feels... Um, in a way, like something we had described with Martin Scorsese when he was, we were talking about the uh, the Jesus movie he made uh, when we had done the Scorsese um, breakdowns. Yeah. What was the Jesus one? Oh, uh, Last Temptation of Christ. There was a line he had mentioned about how he just saw them as New Yorkers in modern time. And he goes, let me just put them back in the old times. Mm-hmm. That is the exact same mentality here. They're just chilling. They're just smoking. They just owe somebody something. They got to roll up on, on on someone who they were supposed to visit to. They are literally just hanging out until the plot starts getting into uh, into motion. And you start seeing a lot of the uh, guest actors that they have in this movie. Again, there's a lot to like in this film. I don't think it's better than The Harder They Fall. <clears throat> it could be because of the the pacing it decided to take. I wish that it, it, if it was going to take that approach, that it was even longer. That they did, again, what I always 
would consider the, the miniseries route, and you actually get to uh, flesh out a, a, a lot of the moments in this movie. Um, I, I think it's still worth the rent it, though, so now that it's out on VOD, uh, I'd say give it a watch because, again, some really good production, some, some good sequences, and this is another one that's got a full-out soundtrack with a bunch of artists as well. So The Book of Clarence out in theaters, but also digitally for you to watch. Any standouts from the cast? Because it's got a lot of recognizable and and likable uh, people in it beyond just like Lakeith Stanfield. Um, I don't see. I don't know how much I've seen Omar Sy do uh, English language roles, but uh, uh, besides like the X Men stuff, maybe Jurassic. Yeah, he is probably the best one out of the three. Uh, you obviously got the duo Lakeith and uh, Siler. They do a really good job, but it's when they add him. That they really mm. become, that like that's what takes an hour is them coming across him that really creates the trio and the group that's going out there to like swindle people of their stuff because he's the muscle. Uh, I'll say there is a surprising one. It's kind of a spoiler if I bring it up, but he's I mean in he's this on movie. the letterbox. He's on there, and you also see him at the beginning. So it's one of those where you actually meet his character, and you're like, I don't, I don't know who that person is. Then they kind of show you everyone who's in the cast and they show you his name with the and and you're like, okay, so I guess he's probably going to be the the secret character. Um, (laughs) But overall, everyone works pretty well together. So uh, give it a watch. Do you think you might have enjoyed it a little bit more had you not seen the trailer? Maybe, but there is also just like a lot of uh, hanging out. It's like a dazed and confused where if you like the setting of a school, you're chilling. Right. But then if it's like in the olden times, you're probably like, this isn't as cool as the setting in the school. <laughs> so it really, that, that's the meter that you got going on there, you know? Yeah. Because um, uh, it's a hangout movie in like the driest place possible. I just wanted more swindling. I, I think the movie needed that from the from the jump. I hear that. So that is out in theaters and VOD, along with another one that was out in theaters and out in VOD. This movie just came out in January. I don't even think <laughs> it made the month. The Beekeeper starring Jason Statham is a goofy goofy movie uh that actually comes from david ayer he he was not worried about putting from the director of fury and suicide squad <laughs> he wore it uh proudly and he's got a better movie than the suicide squad i'll give it that um did you get the chance to catch this one no i i missed out on uh jason Statham's beekeeping yeah. activities although from the sounds of it we might be getting a whole host of beekeeping adventures Ooh, a whole hive a, a collection whole hive, of movies yeah. to come out uh, pretty much you got the secret agents, right? When everything else goes to hell, you call the beekeeper and he comes and he protects the hive. Specifically here, he's got a woman who he really looks after who loses all of her money to a, a scammer. That scammer just so happens to be run by this kid who is the one and only PETA. <laughs> he gives an incredible performance. It has been a while since we have seen him be this funny. I think the the movie is worth watching just for uh, Hutcherson's performance. He is fantastic in it. Uh, if you're a fan of Jason Statham, you're getting your average uh, action here. I don't think it's going to break the top ten of Jason Statham action movies, but he's got his moments there as he's like going place to place just to break off these operations of scammers. So if you're curious in it, give it a watch. I, I think you uh, you need to add it to your watch list just for Josh Hutcherson. He alone <laughs> made it a rent it for me. So it's out available yeah. at home, so you can catch it there. Nice. Yeah, that That's might we be did one catch. that I uh... – Fire up on streaming for sure. It's a decent watch. Yeah, it's a good background yeah. um, thing to like shut off your brain. This next one, though, I need to run it again because we were dead tired. It was the first thing yeah. we caught when we came back after our trip because it is the directorial debut, but it is a co-directorial debut from one Daniel Kaluuya who has written a bunch of stuff because uh, in TV he started off in Skins. I've never seen Skins, mm-hmm. but he's written episodes. I think maybe even directed. I could be wrong there. Yeah, um, I think just but written, it, but... Yeah, it's been a long time coming for him to do stuff behind the camera. 
He's been in a bunch of projects. He's an Oscar award winner. He's been around so much talent. What did you think of his directorial uh, outing here? You know, I thought it was solid. It's not certainly not anything uh, particularly spectacular, but it's it's more more than competent. It's a pretty interesting story. Um, you know, it's the, the story of this kind of, uh, you know, this wayward young man in uh, futuristic uh, housing projects area who who kind of gloms onto someone as a surrogate father. So we've seen stories like that before. I think what makes part of what makes the kitchen stand out is this vision of a not so distant future, because like we, we were watching it. We we're talking about like, is this, you know, sci-fi? Cause it, it has these elements, but it does also feel so, um, so like extended from our current reality, right? Like there's some of the, the most futuristic aspects are of it are like the abundance of advertising and the use of smart mirrors and stuff like that, which is already happening, just not on the extent that it does in the film. Yeah. They just took a different route with it, but it's to show you like, this looks goofy. It looks different. You don't realize how you look. Cause you're, you're used to it in <laughs> right. your world. Yeah. Right. We got people walking around with vision pros. Like, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, Right, exactly. In the week of Vision Pros, it definitely doesn't feel like that distant from our current reality. Um, you know, I, I thought sci-fi. it was. I thought I it like was this right here. Lashawn said, uh, "Sci-fi Top Boy." I have there yet to go. see Top Boy, but that actually it makes a lot of like sense. The best description for it. Totally, and and there's aspects of it that are really interesting. I think ultimately it does feel a little bit thin, like the world around these characters isn't fully, fully developed in a way where you you, you feel like you get a very good picture of what's mm-hmm. going on. It's, it's you know, certainly meant as more of a commentary on our current reality than for sure. a for future casting. But I think uh, it's ultimately winning enough because of the, these performances uh, from the two leads. Uh, I believe it's uh, Kane Robinson and uh, Jedediah Bannerman opposite each other as the... the you know, as they sort of become kind of like a father and son of sorts, it, it's their connection that ultimately, I think, makes it pretty, you know, heart, heartfelt and, and effective by the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With it being 108 minutes, I, I do think that they have a fleshed out world. Like you're saying, they're trying to uh, talk about in a way, metaphor metaphorically to what they're going through, uh, especially with his London roots. But I think it could have been tighter in the directing. Like you're saying, the performances are there. I think that's where it loses it a little bit. I'm like, just tighten it a bit much. It doesn't need to be 108, and you'd have an even better movie. But uh, again, I'm actually looking forward to revisiting it. I thought they had some very interesting shots, and I'm curious to see uh, what Dana Kaluuya has in store in the future. So if you're curious, watch it on Netflix. If you can find it, because we knew it was coming out, kind of, maybe, we're a couple days into Sundance, and we know we're busy, but like, damn, they hid this completely, yep. it was not out there. Um, there's only one that was worse, it's a TV show that I'll bring up later on Paramount, that I had to go back, 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 back to look for that one. They saw the IMDb ratings come in, and they're like, yeah, we're gonna hide this, you're not gonna find this one at all. But The Kitchen is out on Netflix, if you're interested, give it a watch, I still think it's worth the recommendation. Um, I want to do a quick little run through here of a bunch of movies that have released uh, some of these we saw at South by like these two over here and they have a full theatrical run fitting in. Do you remember the original title? Uh, Bloody Hell. Believe. Bloody Hell played at South by. Yeah. They changed it to fitting in because they're like, okay, maybe this will be a bit better. It it's a much is better about, title. I, I like the 
other one too, but yeah, this is a little bit better, uh, of a better title. Um, <laughs> I just feel like but, Bloody Hell makes you think of like an English horror movie or something. Yeah, like. but then when you read what this is about and like how she technically has a tight, yeah, it's called Privates, fitting in is actually like when you connect it to the movie i think a much harsher title in terms of what it's trying to be but i think it works as the double entendre uh because you have maddie ziegler in the role of the main character who has this condition that makes her it leaves her worried that she's not going to be able to have her first time because of it um i thought this is the best performance she's been in because we usually see her not do much in my old ass she was kind of in a side character Mm -hmm. she was good in the fallout but again more of the supporting character to uh jenna yeah really Um, gets to take center stage in this movie if you blink you'll miss her in west side story it took me what the second (laughs) watch to realize she was in that but i I think she's good in this i think we all for the most part thought this was a decent watch it uh, is able to to spin it in a very comedic way as well um and there was one specific montage that i thought uh, we all thought was pretty funny. Um, yeah. that that's in a field. So fitting in bloody hell, however you call it, it is actually in theaters. You can go watch it. I think anywhere right now. Yeah, it's it's sweet. It's maybe a little bit corny uh, because it, it sure. has these moments that feel a little after school special, but it's not it, it's not too cheesy. I think mostly it feels uh, true, you know, which makes sense given uh, yeah. the the director's own background, mm-hmm. and it's it's fun at parts two. So I, I would think it's like a solid streaming watch. Yeah. Then keeping it with South by kind of similarly themed yet another one where the director is the writer is the star of this movie and is also getting a massive theatrical run in scrambled the movie about a woman who's trying to have a child, but she, uh, she might need to scramble some eggs because <laughs> she is a little too old according to her fertility doctor. And right. uh, her parents also agree. This one was funny because yeah. It's got that sense of humor where you have like a family who's willing to just say it straight. And to me, that's that's like, I don't know, that's always going to be the funniest environment. Um, and it's also a, a story that, again, one that the director is going through. Uh, so you get to see a lot of very honest and truthful lines and, and yeah. scenes that, that were pretty good. And she also plays somebody who doesn't have much of a filter. So it's it's one of those movies where a lot of the comedy is She's like they, they saying, they're saying the thing that normally goes unsaid in polite yeah. conversation. But yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's about this woman who's choosing to freeze her eggs because once you, you hit 35, you're considered a geriatric pregnancy, which, you know, I think for a lot of people, a lot of women, particularly just sort of that realization of your dawning uh dawning age and your your dawning um mortality can trigger that sort of uh quarter life crisis midlife crisis whatever you want to call it but i think it's a, it's a really sol- solid movie at getting across that weird aspect of feeling youthful and not feeling ready for uh, the sta- the stage in life that your body may be telling you you're ready for and yeah. as somebody whose bedtime is getting earlier and earlier it's easy to relate to <laughs> I'll put so keep an eye out for this one. Scrambled out in theaters. Zach was telling me I had no idea he plans on having his kid at fifty-two. That's, that's <laughs> I'm fantastic. trying to beat Scorsese's record. <laughs> me and Marty, uh, and wrap, fifty-year-old dads. There's a TIFF one. Lil Nas X, Long Live Montero. I don't think we saw uh, either of us saw at the festival. This is actually the one they get the bomb threat. I don't know if you remember that, but this yeah. is now out uh, on VOD, and then immediately they put it on HBO, so you can catch it over on the Max. And this is an interesting one because we always talk about the different approaches in a documentary. This is a vlog documentary through and through. This you can tell is his voice. It is him narrating. This could be a YouTube video if he wanted to, but why would Lil Nas do that when he can literally make an entire festival? 
experience, uh, a whole feature film. Uh, there's even a point where they're recording his like uh, choreographers, and the choreographer like sees Lil Nas X approach him, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to say what you want on tape for your little documentary." Like they're all aware this is his project, so it's not necessarily something that's going to be introspective. It begins assuming you already know who the man is. Mm. You know, it, it's just, it doesn't play uh, Old Town Road to like an hour in. And then it starts breaking down like how he kind of made it. But it's more so what he's dealing with, with all the fame that he's gotten. And pretty much I'm telling you, I'm going to do it again. I have made it to this mountaintop. I'm a caterpillar back in its cocoon and I'm about to butterfly, butterfree myself again. So if you're a Lil Nas X fan, uh, I think you're going to enjoy this doc. If you don't know much about him, you get some insights, but not too much. So this is a good Lil Nas X documentary, but there will be a better one. I don't think we've gotten yeah. the best one yet. I'll put it that way. Yeah, I know that uh, a lot of people like the Olivia Rodrigo movie, but I also just found myself significantly less interested in these music docs that are about artists who are really at the beginning stages of their career. And granted, like Lil Nas X has had an extremely interesting beginning of his Unreal. career. Yeah, but I, I I feel like the better perspective will be had from the mm -hmm. documentary that comes out ten years down the road. And it's not that they can't be, but it's also that approach that you're saying. You mentioned the Olivia one, and she was the one who was really in control of that. And it's a mm -hmm. very creative, the, the sour one, right, where she's, like, traveling, kind of giving you the background of it. The Billie Eilish one, she wasn't controlling. That was a real director uh, breaking that down for her on Apple, and I think that's where you actually get, like, a true piece of art, even when it's the beginnings of someone's career, when you're willing to be honest in capturing something. Um, here it's just like how good he is. And yeah, he's a talented individual. Yeah. So shout out Lil Nas X, Long Live Montero, out on Max. Let's wrap it up with the final movie that is out in theaters. One that Zach said, I don't know how to feel about this one. I hope he remembers most of what happened in this movie because I may be on the side of liking it a little bit more than he did. Okay. It's called Memory. It premiered at TIFF, if I'm not mistaken, maybe somewhere overseas. Um, it is out in theaters now. Should probably be on digital soon. And it comes from a director who um, I think he's pretty interesting. He yeah. made a movie called New Order a couple of years ago that had a lot of people up in arms, but he's done movies like Chronic. Uh, he did Sundown, which I think was one of his first um, fully English. Or I think Chronic was as well, think, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So he, th this man's been around for a while. He's a Mexican director, um, plays at a lot of festivals. So Memory was obviously going to get a pickup because it has Jessica Chastain, Peter Sarsgaard. One of them is losing their memory. And it turns out that she has memories, as this is kind of how you were describing it to me, of being abused in the past, and he may or may not have something to do with it. But while yeah. he's the one who's losing his memories, she may not be recollecting everything the way it should be. Or maybe she's the one being gaslit by the people who should have protected her the entire time. Right. Like they, it the worked way for me, to, did. The way to put it in like even fewer words is like he's losing his memories and he and she has too many or something like that. But I don't know. It's, it is fascinating in certain regards there th i think it really is elevated by how good jessica chastain and peter sarsgaard as actor are as actors because there's lots of moments where they're just silently staring at one another and you know they're actors who are able to bring weight to even moments like those where like you feel what they're going through despite them not actually vocalizing it so I was compelled by it, but I think the thing that you're responding to is like, I just have very little idea what to make of this movie in the end. I, I don't know if I know what to think about these characters or what Franco was trying to say, but it, it is also, certainly like a, 
it, it's certainly like a really good showcase for these performances. I just, I think the, I don't know. It, do, do you have a takeaway from this movie that, that's, that's a clean one other than like having experienced the story? Cause the story is interesting. Just uh, a bit, a bit atypical. What do you mean by taking away? Like, like, well, considering think, his other movies, I don't think he usually like directs something for you to take away. It's more so the experience of what the characters are going through. Right, right. And like, you know, he's done films that are are more like provocations before, but even then I, I feel like there there is an anchor in some kind of issue, in some kind of theme. Uh whether yeah. it's, you know, class dynamics or if it's aging or something like that. And th- this you know, there's some stuff there about like trauma and responsibility for for pain and stuff like that. But I don't know. I maybe I need to watch it again on fresher eyes. But mm-hmm. I just felt like I didn't I didn't know what this movie wanted me to make of its characters by the end. Oh, I think it's definitely worth it. Give it another watch because what you have is two juxtaposed families, one who's definitely a lot richer and then the other one who's kind of just, they're, they're not necessarily poor per se uh, when you have Jessica Chastain who also has her own daughter. Um, and then you also have uh, Skarsgård's character who's living with his brother uh, and w- would be his niece if I'm not mistaken. Also played, played incredibly. Elsie Fisher killed it yeah. in this movie. They come in and they play like a really big anchor in terms of making sure that their uncle is taken care of, um, specifically uh, them approaching it from the angle of like, you can take care of my uncle uh, because he actually like really connects to you. But then obviously you have everything that's happening with Jessica Chastain, who I'm not sure who plays the mother, but Merritt Weaver plays her sister, dude, yeah. and she kills it in this movie. This yeah, is what I'm saying. Great. Like, I- I'm not sure if it's so much a movie of what to take away from it, but more so an experience of you, like the character of Peter Sarsgaard, you don't know this woman, but you're getting a, 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 a vignette of what happened in, with this family. And you specifically see it with her as the sister who knew she should have said something but was never able to. Yeah. I've been bringing up this documentary a lot, so I hope you catch it one of these days. Uh, but it's playing on Max. Uh, one... Great photo, lovely life. The fact you know it, bro. Uh, it, it, that scene right there spoke like so much, especially out of that movie. There is a sequence that is real, that is documented from a real family. And then I'm watching this sequence, and it's like... I don't know. I, I think maybe that's a connection that I made to it is just this idea of like, it's not going to answer something for you, but it's going to showcase to you. Hey, I don't know if there's a resolution to this conversation that this family had, but you can see them playing it to their purest. What uh, Jessica Chastain puts into that scene, what she's recollecting, how she feels trapped, what Merritt Weaver does in that scene, especially with her hands. I just thought it was a it was standout directing, standout cinematography and standout performances from everybody involved. Um, I, I would highly recommend it. And I think the memory thing is just an added bit to it in terms of how they're able to play with how uh, how people react to their emotions or what what they thought was was, was true. So, I, I, again, I don't want to spoil too much that happens in the movie, especially with the way that it's told. But uh, I think on a rewatch, I'm going to like it even more. So if you are curious in this movie, it did the rounds at festivals. Uh, I think it's definitely worth the watch. But it is definitely going to be uncomfortable for the subject matter. So do know that. Because these are characters. Like, the the moment that uh, that forest scene happens, mm-hmm. she, I'll just say this. She takes something that he wears around his neck. I thought that was so cold. I'm like, yeah. good. Finally. Characters who were approaching in these, like, very um, sensitive subject matter, but that mm-hmm. they're not willing. Like, you're saying maybe that was the confusing part. 
they're kind of mean sometimes, even when mm-hmm. they shouldn't be mean, or maybe you're like, how maybe you should be with the baggage that you have with you. But that's also what the movie is kind of uh, dissecting. I think it's kind of, it's not giving you the answer, but it's saying, even if you went through stuff, should you be this type of person? Mm-hmm. Can a person change? I don't know. There's a lot of questions that I think the movie asked, and I, I think it was pretty good. Memory, out in theaters now, hopefully on digital soon. Definitely. Bro, we have so much TV. I don't even know how we're going to get through this. So I'm going to go some yay or nays with you here on uh, some pilot episodes that we've caught and uh, whether you're going to continue watching it or not. Mm -hmm. After a long Denver ride, we (laughs) had a little Netflix series, TV miniseries called Griselda that is based off of a real person who was a Don. The opening title card says that there was nobody scarier than Griselda. El Chapo. Uh, We saw a couple of episodes of this. Are you looking forward to more of Griselda on Netflix? Uh, probably not. I, I feel like it's entertaining for sure. Um, as, as most shows that sort of like exist in this kind of like drug pink kingpin milieu tend to be, uh, I, I feel like it's sort of like, um, coasting off of the goodwill of like later seasons of the, o- of Ozark or something like that. Right. Like people, this is like ne- a, a, a Netflix staple. Oh, I say Narcos. Or, sure. Sure. Narcos too. Um, uh, it, it's this is a staple of what Netflix's original series have done, and I feel like there's plenty of drama that will be compelling to most people. But I just don't find the I just don't find the beats of these shows to be that compelling, and I don't think it like stylistically was that interesting either. Um, you know, it's it's totally competent. Sophia Vergara does a good job in the role. The the first episode was like interesting in, in terms of her nav her character navigating the situation, but I I, I just am, am not that compelled by this style of storytelling for for someone like uh like Griselda. I, I just don't I, I think I think it needs to I, I don't know. I, I find I would be more interested if it was maybe like a harsher depiction of the character and maybe it'll get there eventually. But I just don't know if I have the patience to stick with it for five hours, 10 hours to to get to that point, personally speaking. Although I, I do think that it is a show that I'd recommend to most people. I think most people will have a really entertaining time with it. I'm just not it's not something that really compelled me. So that's a nay. Yeah, good nay on that. I'm going to go with it. Yeah, I, I mean, you, she, you coasted through a few of them, didn't you? She was, I thought she was pretty decent in it. You're at the beginning only getting her as like the the, the, the introduction to it. She's not really that hard yet. So I'm very curious to see where she's going to end up. I think she's going she's yeah. to be better by the end of the series. And I think it's an interesting story enough for uh, what it's giving us. And I'm, I'm glad it's all out at once. I, I probably would not be tuning in on a weekly basis if it was, if it was that. But I think I was yeah. able to binge a good, good chunk of it because of it. So yay for me. Uh, this next one. We need to, like, what, watch the first episode for the third time again? Mr. and Mrs. Smith was a series that we got screeners for. We started watching the first episode once Mm -hmm. in screener mode. I don't think we finished it because we thought, okay, this is completely different. You heard my take, which was, like, wow, they're really approaching this. Completely different than from what I even know the movie to be, the essence of the movie. The essence of the characters as well. We tried to rewatch the episode again together when we came back from Sundance. And now we will probably, after this stream, watch it again. Um, I have heard some great things about the latter half, and I've been mm-hmm. trying to not get spoiled. I should know better because it's Gambino. Yeah. My heart was broken when one half of this uh, was uh, split apart with... Um, Phoebe Waller-Bridge was originally was supposed, supposed to be Mrs. Smith. And and to me, that would have been fantastic. I think they mm-hmm. would have really had that chemistry. No offense to uh, Maya. Uh, it seems like she's decent in this, but... 
maybe that's what took me away from it. But I'm going to go yay from the things that I've heard, even though going into it, we both of us were like, ah, this doesn't seem like it's going to hit the mark of that original. Yeah, but I mean, uh, I was able to catch it. two of these since I came back and, and I'm definitely in. I'm, I'm yay on this. Um, it is also certainly. Two? OK. Yeah, I, I'm it's certainly quieter than I think maybe we were expecting from a Mr. and Mrs. Smith uh, adaptation. Like it is a really it, it is not very like plot forward. It is really just like immersive in this experience. But I think like once you sort of settle into the tone and and the dynamic between uh, Donald Glover and Maya Erskine, it really does become quite delightful and fun. OK, um, I'm really excited to see that, that continue to play out. I like Maya Erskine a lot. Uh, from both plus one and pen 15. So, you know, as much as that, he is so fun opposite Phoebe Waller bridge. I think he's going to be very good opposite her too. So uh, maybe we'll be able to coast our way through the rest of the series and and talk about it in more detail, but yeah, it's a big thumbs up for me. For sure. Another thumbs up for me would be Ted. Did you finish it? I didn't finish it, but I I probably will. I mean, I was really enjoying what we watched. So there you go. Another thumbs up over here. This is the event series, which I don't know what that means anymore. If that means limited, <laughs> if that means anthology, but it is the event series. It means series. please watch our show. Yeah, yeah it I is mean, out on, it's out on Peacock. I, I thought it was worth it. Yeah, it, it's certainly like, you know, stupid, but it's also quite funny. There's a lot of good jokes and good yeah. joke writing in it, too. Like, it's it's surprising. It, it has good references and stuff like that. The, the characters go places that I don't think you're always going to expect. So, I, yeah, it's maybe not something you need to pay 100% attention to, but it's certainly worth putting on. Season two? I'd be down for a season two for sure. Yeah, hey, uh, he's, he's the making a second CGI event. Character. Yeah, the second event. Event two. Um, I know you were watching some of this. Did you finish it? Echo, I watched on Disney Plus. all of it, and I don't know why, because we had very limited time before we went to Sundance, and I took five this hours man, out of my life to watch Echo. This man had five hours of screenings. To watch from Sundance, and he goes, "Now nah, let me watch Disney Plus. <laughs> let me Hulu's take care Echo. of Echo, That's which what is I never need. going to be heard from again." Um, Perfect. I I am um, pretty tired of these five hour movie style shows and stuff like that. Um, Marvel, particularly, is really bad with doing this thing where they'll stretch what could be about two hours of plot across six hours, eight hours of television. Uh, thankfully, this one's only five, but it's just the biggest failure for me of Echo is it just completely abandons like the episodic form. There's a reason that TV exists the way it does, because, you know, you you stick with a show for a certain length of time and then the tension rises and it leaves you off at a point where you feel like you've watched a story and then you're ready for the next chapter of it. This is just like one long unfurling thing. So much of it is uh, like rehashing elements of other Marvel properties. And I, I, I just was, I had no patience for it. I think there's a lot of really um, interesting aspects in terms of the indigenous representation and trying to sort of like embody um, other generations, but it all sort of gets buried under expository bullshit and I, I I was just really, really frustrated with the show. Yeah, I'm going to go nay on this one, too. Yeah. That's another details also on Hulu. Do you know anything of this? <laughs> this is the first I'm hearing about it. Wait, no, no, you it, were telling me about it. It's Mandy Patinkin on a boat. Yeah, it's Mandy Patinkin on a boat uh, with other people on a boat, uh, except the one person who's on the boat because he's dead. So he's on yeah, the this boat, is, but not really on the boat. Yeah, so this is uh, Death on the Nile, the series. 
Death on the Nile, the series on Hulu, and no one's talking about it, even though this is like the most played streaming service ad when you go to the theater. They keep showing you this, and I keep thinking it's another one of uh, Hercule's outings, but no, uh, it is a detective mystery where they're trying to figure out who is the person who killed it or who are the killers. I, I don't really know. I saw the first episode, and I have not kept up with it, so I'm going to go a very low yay, Okay, but it's a mystery, so I'm still going... With it. I'm not going to count it out the way I was <clears throat> doing with Mr. and Mrs. Smith. So I'm, I'm going to mid yay for it because uh, Hulu doesn't do the worst when it comes to mysteries. So we'll see how it goes. All right. Um, Hulu also had this other one that a lot of people were recommending and pushing a shop for killers. Uh, I don't think you've heard anything about this one because I barely heard anything about this one. They're like hiring assassins to go kill each other. But it turns out that these people may have been raised uh, specifically to have these types of um, assassination skills. Uh it's playing in Disney Plus in some places, which I found funny because after the first hour of watching this, yeah, this is not a Disney Plus or what I would consider a Disney Plus show, but we just saw Echo. So what really is anymore? But if you were to choose between the two, the first uh, episode of this that I saw was pretty good. So I'm giving the yay on this as the uh, under the radar series that's out there. But this next one on Paramount was the super under the radar series I was telling you about. They made a series adaptation to Sexy Beast. Zach, for the people who don't know what sexy beast is can you let them know uh sexy beast i believe is the very first feature film directed by one jonathan glazer who has since gone on to make uh the zone of interest more recently uh but it is a pretty pretty awesome old uh gangster film starring like one of the greatest ben kingsley performances ever uh, as Don Logan, you also get, mm-hmm. I think it's Ray Weinstone is very good in that movie too, but just like a really good gangster film that has this like threatening aura to it, right? Like Don Logan shows up and immediately it's like, th- this shit is going to go wry fast. Um, he directed Karma Police? He's like an incredible music video. Like he could have Damn. retired off his music videos and been a legend, but he had to go ahead and be a great feature film director too. I guess. All right. Yeah. Decent. Yeah. This one has been getting uh, nothing but terrible reviews. So when I went to go look for, for Paramount Plus, I was like, let me play an episode or something. I cannot find that. I went to the whole damn home screen. I went, to, I went to TV shows. I went all the way back to like the last thing. So when I had to show Alina and reverse engineer it, the press menu, 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 she was surprised <laughs> how deeply they buried it. But at a 5.5, they don't want people to know that this is associated with Paramount Plus, especially as they start to consolidate. Um, I can't tell you anything about it because I put it on and by the time I found it, I just started working on something else. So Sexy Beast <laughs> is out there. I have no yay, I have no nay, but the world has spoken and I don't think they like it. Instead, I'm going to use this time to say... That you are correct. We do have a new Jonathan Glazer movie that's finally out. So go watch Zone of Interest in theaters, finally, for most people out there. Um, give that a watch since it's nominated for an Academy Award. Um, I see Expats back up here. You're not going to mention it down below? No, I'm not going to mention it down, down below. You uh, also Expats skipped over also, uh, which skip? HBO. I don't know if you want to talk about that one either. Which one? All oh, True Detective? Yeah, I'm yeah. going to save this one for the last one. Okay. Uh, let's uh, Quick talk for expats. Again, another one that we were we should be a yay, but I think we're both going mid on, especially after the TIFF release where they announced this and now this. The series of movies that we're just going to call TV shows, I'm not going to hate on her because I allowed Steve McQueen to do it, but this has become the most confusing one so far. Speak a little bit on expats and why you're not as excited as you want it to be. 
Yeah, well, so it's the new show, I guess, from Lulu Wong, who did The Farewell, which I think we both loved. I, th- I think I had it maybe higher on my year-end list than you, but it's a it's a great movie. Um, and it's been a long gestating project. You know, there was uh, news that Nicole Kidman was joining it, which was exciting, but uh, she's been working on these these episodes for a long time, and it has some... It seems like it has some sort of anthological aspects to it in that, like you said, not every episode is involving every character. Um, But they ended up, as you mentioned, bringing it to TIFF where they showed, I want to say, episode six and it didn't get the best reviews. And I don't know, it just sort of feels like some of the steam uh, and enthusiasm is is petering out. I don't know if it's as a consequence of also releasing it at this time of year, which is not traditionally a place where people put their best foot forward. I don't know. I'm still going to check it out because I'm, I'm invested in Lulu Wong and I want the show to be good. And hopefully at least some of it will be, but I'm definitely not as amped as I once was for its release. Yeah, but we'll keep our eyes out for that one. Another one that's on Apple TV plus. We got a duo here. The first one is Palm Royale, which is supposed to be a miniseries, 10 parts about kind of like a Hilton heiress who's not the most favorited one out of all of the other heiresses who are out there in Palm Beach. I remember catching this one because I was going through the Apple screeners and I saw this. I'm like, wait, what the heck is this? I see it's Kristen Wiig. Right. I, I see it's Ricky Martin. I'm watching this episode and it's got the weirdest tone as a Kristen Wiig series would have. And then it turns out that just today they barely released a trailer. So they have had this in the it, it, like this has been completed for a while but yeah. they're barely releasing it um and the weirdest part is that the way that it's rolling out out of all the series that we're talking about that are wrapping up like by next month this is running till may 8th so you have all of this month all of march all of april and still the first week in may um I don't know. It seems like Apple's really pushing this one as being like a, a Ted Lasso type of yeah. comedy where they think it's going to generate a lot of buzz. So we'll see. First episode it's, still, was, okay. it's still not out until March, right? Is it? I thought it was coming out now. Then maybe that's how I misread it, that it yeah. was. I was timing it to the, I guess, the trailer release um, more than the thing. Oh, shit. I am way ahead of it. No, you are correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not out until March. Dang, we got those screenings early, early, early. early we had then. them last year. All right, I'm going to stop talking about what I'm talking about because I may be embargoed at that point. But what I'm not embargoed <laughs> for is Masters of the Air also out on Apple TV+. Plus. Yep. Have you caught anything of uh, this new Pacific Band of Brothers? I've caught all of Band of Brothers. <laughs> Any Pacific? No, I haven't seen the Pacific. I heard that's good too. Specifically Masters of the Air, nothing yet? No, not yet. Okay, I've seen the first episode, and once you watch the first episode, I think you got the whole series. It Mm. is so funny to see in 2024, like, a 2000s episode, and they haven't changed a day, bro. It's almost (laughs) kind of respectable from the opening credits to the way these guys talk to the way they shoot it. You know how it always got – it has that glow where it's like I can't even tell if they are on location and Mm. it's just overblown or if this is CGI. It feels like they've all died and gone to heaven in every scene of this series, especially because they're up in the air. Um, If I'm not mistaken, Band of Brothers had them on land. Pacific had them in the water. Now they're up in the sky. Uh, For those who don't recall, Band of Brothers damn near created the miniseries. Do you remember that? Yeah. I mean, it was like the first, uh, I I don't know, maybe maybe not the first, but like one of the big event series. Well, I mean, like you could talk series. Yeah, I mean, you could talk about stuff like Roots and stuff like that, but it it feels different. uh, For sure. But I thought Roots was considered a TV movie. Yeah, because it, it, it's fewer parts. I, I guess miniseries, it was maybe the first like big 
actual like lengthy miniseries yeah. if we, that's what we want to say hbo came in and they had that sexy sexy slogan about how they're not tv they're hbo mm-hmm. it was like the first of streaming before streaming i remember catching this uh someone had a uh, uh a boom copy of it they had like ripped it and it was like high quality and they gave it to me and i was just like whoa this is crazy my love of miniseries and my line of this should be a miniseries began with this this <laughs> is the perfect example of when you take something like saving private ryan which should be a movie but then make a version of it that can be 10 episodes long spielberg tom hanks sort of all producers on this on pacific and now on this new one over here uh masters of the year where the thing has always been that they cast a bunch of young actors then they become super big. You go back and you watch Band of Brothers and you're like, holy smokes, Tom Hardy, all of these young people are in this. Same thing for the Pacific. Because they filmed this a bit back, you're watching this now when Austin Butler has become really big, when Barry Keown has become really big. Caleb Turner is known as the brother, I think, in uh, the Fantastic Beasts uh, series. Mm. I was looking at this man. I thought this was your boy from The Mask. <laughs> I Connor cannot O'Malley. watch this series without seeing the comedian, bro. <laughs> it's fine. It's decent. I think if you're yeah. a fan of the other miniseries that we were mentioning, this is going to be right up your alley. Um, it, I think that there is a version of this that is specifically intended for you to watch on the Vision Pro. It was like literally timed to the release of that. And considering the way that it shot, it almost has that Top Gun thing where they had put the uh, the extra cameras on the sides. And I think right. for a full Vision Pro rollout, <laughs> you have some good stuff here. All right. uh, this this yeah. is a dad series through yeah, and through. It seems real dad, dad core. If your dad got done with Reacher, Masters of the Year, Apple Perfect. TV Plus, Perfect. that's for sure. Final two are HBO. I think you had one as your pick, so I'm going to... I, I I'm moved gonna it back you up. You moved it back I moved up? It back I'll let you up. carry it away. Picks. The final season. Yes! Season 12. One last ride. Larry David. Funny as ever. I, I, if I may say... Mm-hmm. He is the worst he's ever been. And I don't mean worse in terms of not being funny. He is funny. He is the worst as a human. Yeah. He is the worst embodiment of this character that he's ever been. I don't think I've heard him complain more in an episode than the premiere of season 12. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's really leaning into uh, the unlikable aspect. But it's it's relatably unlikable, right? Like, who hasn't wanted to curse out? Who, who amongst us hasn't cursed out Siri at some point in our life? Too long. Um, it, it's just, yeah, it's, it's so funny. It's, it's a gift that keeps on giving. I'm, I'm glad, glad we're doing one more ride, uh, with Curb Your Enthusiasm. Sad that he is apparently like making this kind of a finale sure. For, for sure. He keeps we'll saying see. that. I mean, look, he killed himself at the end of season five, so there's no reason he can't he come did, back yeah. again. Right. True. Um, <laughs> Damn, I, I forgot about that. I, I am maybe excited about the idea that if he is sort of freeing himself of Curb Your Enthusiasm, it just means that he's going to start a different type of project that could also be interesting. Um, but it, it's just – it's great to be back. I, I He hasn't been talking much about what's going to happen this season, but I yeah, get the sense he's... that he's trying to go back to some – some classic ideas and bring back some characters as he uh, did a little bit in this episode. Yeah, uh, It's also interesting in that like, you know, there's always like, it's not a very political show, but he'll occasionally slip little bits in there, but there's, there's a little bit of politics in this one too. A little bit. The ending credits <laughs> yeah. is yelling it out at you, but he does it yeah. in a way where he makes fun of the situation instead right. of like, telling you how you should feel or the guilt or the shame or the the activism you should do it's like oh we all know this shot the iconography and he's like making fun of the scenario that's what's allowed him to last 
this long. Exactly, right. Like he's just he's ultimately po- pointing out the ridiculous and and the kind of infuriating aspects yeah. of of regular life. And I don't know, there's there's few people who are as like loose and funny while being able to do it. it it's just so a, it. it's a pleasure. It's always a pleasure. It's clean. I am done with the Maria character though. I think that's her name. Young Larry. <laughs> I yeah. am done with that character, bro. <laughs> I, I, I thought she was fun in this episode, but we don't need a lot more of her. <laughs> no, we do not. Uh, big thumbs up for Curb Your Enthusiasm. If you haven't seen any of it, please do yourself a favor. Start it. I, I, you know, don't even start with the old ones, maybe. Start with the new ones. Then go back with the old ones. Once you get the style of it, you're going to crave it no matter how Because, I mean, he's been on so long. You can start mm-hmm. with the HD episodes. Then you go back to, like, the 2000s ones, and you're like, whoa. Do you have looks- a favorite season? I mean, look, if you're a Seinfeld fan, the Seinfeld reunion season is incredible and yeah. and worth it. But I think my favorite season is the producer's season. I want to say it's like the three, producer maybe season four. is very good. Ben Stiller, yeah, the, the Mel Brooks one. Yeah. OK. Um, I don't know. Uh, I like the Fatwa run because <laughs> it's so dumb. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. I, I, I think I, I like uh, Latte Larry's. I think that's what 10, 11. Latte Larry's so. was a pretty funny run. Uh, yeah, you told me you were never gonna come here. I wasn't gonna come here without you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, some good uh, stuff. And I see you brought it up on your screen, just uh, scrolling down a little bit. But he recently said that Palestinian Chicken was his favorite episode. A Palestinian Chicken is probably one of the most rewatched ones. <laughs> Top rated on IMDb. Hey, we'll, we'll see what he ends up doing, how he ends up yeah. wrapping it. But uh, yeah, it's always gonna be funny. Over under that he he lands it. I, I yeah, think finale. he's going to land it. I, I okay. feel like committing to this being the final season, uh, he's probably got something fun in store. That being said, that Seinfeld finale is one of the least likes finales That's ever. what I'm saying. I don't have a problem with it, but a lot of people but do. Does, but do you think it's going to be like we were talking about, okay, is, it's fitting for the series. People disagree. People don't. But just in terms of like, okay, season 12, we have had 12 finales. Will it rank in the top six? Of his oh, own top finale. six? Top six, I think I feel confident on. Yeah. <sighs> I hope. I, I hope it's at least five. The last one that we have here is True Detective Night Country. It is the fourth series and the first to include the subtitle of something. Because we had True Detective 1, 2, 3. Now you get that subtitle as it's taking place in Alaska. You got the two leads here in uh, Jodie Foster, who has been saying... The weirdest lines in a series that is supposed to be the top-notch, top-tier HBO quality outings. Um, There's four episodes out. I have caught one, two, and three. I was like in a daze for four. We should also mention, uh, aside from this being the first True Detective season that has a subtitle, it's the first True Detective season since they've separated from a writer-director or writer-producer Nick Pizzolatto. He still has an executive producer credit, but that seems to be the limit of his involvement, considering some well, of his he's comments. Been involved. <laughs> he's been involved in a different way for the past. Yeah, he, he's had yeah. some some uh, comments on this yeah. most recent season, but this most recent season has been helmed by uh, Isa Lopez, who I believe her big film prior to this was Tigers Are Not Afraid. Is that her? I'll check it up right now. Yeah, Would I you... know she has been really big on pushing the show. You go on Twitter, yeah, writer of Tigers Are Not Afraid. So yeah, um, and and Directed tweeting out a lot about it, but it it certainly, uh, I haven't seen it, but the buzz has been like you can feel oh, that there's been a, gotcha. a changing of the guard in terms of who yeah. is authoring the show. 
So let's do a little quick uh, recap in terms of the four seasons that we've got. And obviously one, you look back at this and it's just like 8.9, 8.8, and then it's just nines. It's just nines. Like this has aged beautifully. People talk about it all the time. Hell, people talk about it in the newest season if you haven't heard. Then you have season two. I have heard different takes on this. I'm going to tell you right now where I stand, but I need to know yours honestly. And I'm pretty sure you and I have been recording long enough that we are on the record. Yeah. I thought I remember this being a good season and now people are trying to say it's not. And then people are saying and rewriting. Yes, it is. Where do you remember falling? I remember being pretty compelled with it at the beginning and then kind of feeling like it lost its way in the last couple of episodes, but not hating it. Okay. Just not loving it like I loved season one. Yeah, people are saying that they don't remember this one being the best one. I thought I remember still liking it. Um, and then season three would have been the one that actually brought in. I forget what the second one was, but it was Mahershala. And I don't know who his counterpart was or if it was just like him dealing with him being young. Yeah, it was, this was another one that just was him. 2019, dude. It was like so long ago. Yeah. Um, the big thing that's being pushed right now is this idea of this storyline maybe connecting with earlier lore, something that the anthology has not done for seasons two and three. And like you said, the big part being that Nick had arguments in season one with um, a director who went on to be really big and uh, not as big anymore. But then two and three was really all Nick. So for four to push him out and then connect back to his source material has been an interesting debate that I've had um, that I've dived into because some people think that he relied too much on old iconography for his season Mm -hmm. one. So it's like you're we're already copying. So who's really copying off of you? Uh, Having not seen anything, how do you feel about approaching season four realizing that it may connect may or may not connect and i'll tell you right now yeah they kind of showcase it but i don't think it's like that big yet it's do you big, feel but it's not it's not be, over before i answer that question do you feel like somebody like like my mom who's not necessarily like reading into you know no. art on the wall like she wouldn't even know that it's referencing she wouldn't season even one care yeah so i i'll say this like i think i'll i think the thing is that a lot of people have been wanting these true detective seasons to interconnect, particularly since season one hinted at these kind of like uh, potential um, supernatural elements and then didn't necessarily go full Did you want supernatural. That? I, I've heard I don't a lot know. about that. I don't know. I mean, I, I thought it maybe it would have been cool, but I, I thought season one still worked, but I think there's just been this hunger for people to, to have like some kind of larger thing going on in these shows. And for, for season two, I think there were some people who were like, Oh, th- does this connect back to season one? People really, really wanted they like that. that stuff. Yeah. yeah. So it feels a lot like she's sort of playing into that viewer desire for it now. But as a creator, um, yeah, I, I feel like unless you got like a pretty good reason to do it, yeah. then it sounds a lot like fan service to me. And that's the thing. Are you a person who considers fan fiction to be out the window the moment it's picked up by a company? The moment that HBO owns it, it's no longer fan fiction or is it still not fan fiction if it came from an outside source? Well, I mean, like, you know, there. I think it just it ends up feeling less inventive if if people who are sitting at home and read it already came up with it, if that makes any sense. Sure. But people love the scream movies, scream five and six did numbers. I cannot think of a more fan fiction movie, but that's what I'm saying. People still related to it. I think what you have going on in this one is that the approach seems to be that, um, it's a side story relating to it. So it's like whatever they were dealing with in one, 
what back in the mainland this is like a, a, a spin-off of what was happening over there in uh alaska i don't know right. that it will even affect the two or the characters or even events and the one thing that i've seen is a lot of people go like oh this ruins it because the ending of one was this and then people are reminded no it wasn't you're assuming that the, it is not messing up the lore i guess the argument is is it even her lore to touch to begin with mm-hmm. would she be mad if someone made tigers are afraid too and that's where I, I look, think it gets. And that's where I think it gets funny because I, you already know what the answer for that is going to be. I am interested. I I think season four has been good. I know she's been talking about review bombing. I don't think these two episodes are way worse than the other ones. I don't understand why they're rated worse. But as you know, these were the episodes that introduced the connection back. Um, mm-hmm. I am curious to see this fan fiction take, whatever you want to call it. HBO sanctioned it. I want to hear the story. I want to see it finished. Even if I also do believe that Nick kind of has a reason to be mad. If she decides to actually wrap up season four in the way that season one did not go, which was that mystical sense, that Lovecraft country thing that people wanted, I'm going to be a little torn. It's going to give us something that some of us were looking forward to. But again, who is she to change that story when that wasn't the whole point of this entire thing that is true detective. Yeah. And there is a quote that uh, Jody says, there is an answer. And we're going to find it. And it's almost like, damn, you're winking at the audience, bro. Mm. So I'm a little concerned here because they are playing with the thing almost yeah. in, in, in the setting. I, mean, I think one of the benefits of being an anthology is that even though they are, as you mentioned, trying to have certain aspects line up with other seasons, that like you do kind of get the chance to wipe the slate clean every year. So I, I don't know if I'm like... Right. More, like morally against doing this kind of approach that is really referential. Like it, it, it t- sounds to me almost like that Black Mirror episode that referenced all the other Black Mirror episodes or something like that. But you that's know, a little more funny, I think. Sure, sure. Everyone kind of like that one a bit more. Yeah, yeah. This I haven't would, seen True Detective, so I'm. This could change the lore that he had set up, and even more than that, what if he had an idea? You know, like what if he yeah. was going to do it, and someone, then he can do it in season five if HBO allows him to. I don't know, Zach, if someone came in and just took over the podcast for like a, a stint of it and did it in a different way, I, I can see his his upsetting his yeah. upsetness for it. But uh, Kerry even got an executive thing because technically he would have been working on those characters. Yep. The boys are getting paid out of the way, I guess. So there is that for them. Um, I, I, I either way still recommend it. I think it has the mood. It has the tone. It has that mystery that people are still looking forward to. Um in this fourth outing. So check it out over on HBO if you are curious. And that wraps up all of the theater, all the streaming, all of the series once again. You know, we made it out to Sundance and we had 60-something movies along with some shorts, some TV episodes I think that they also had out there uh, that we talked about for Sundance. So we were missing a couple of things and now we are caught up. We are back to our weekly regularly scheduled programming for February before... We do it all again for South by we have a South by preview coming to you soon. So keep an eye out for that. If you're curious to join the South by film festival, this is one that does it a little bit differently because you need a band for the entire run, but we have seen some intercuities out there before in the past. Um, That will be the next festival. Like I said, we have all our Sundance coverage already here. We have a top anticipated of uh, 2024 that Zach broke down that we have up on the channel. We have these weekly shows that we're going to be doing, but anything else on the docket to let them know. Uh, I mean, we might be doing. Our, our, we haven't decided if we're doing Coen Brothers Film Club or Villain Villain Wave or Villeneuve Film Club. But we'll, we'll, continuing that tradition that we started with the Scorsese Film Club, we might be reviewing some 
individual movies from acclaimed filmmakers soon. Uh, maybe find out. Brothers, uh, uh, I know you had started this question over here. It kind of connects it a little back. Uh, Lashana said, I honestly used to think True Detective would be up there with Fargo for me, but Fargo goes down in history. Obviously, Coen Brothers made the movie. That has to be the best spinoff show. Yeah. From a movie possible. Every single season of that show has killed it. I just wrapped the one, the last one with... Um, Five? Yeah, with Juno Temple. And John Hamm, yeah. Alina wanted the ending to be a little bit better. I think that the ending scene should have been swapped with the scene prior to it, and you have a perfect ending. That that that's like that's my only critique for the ending. It is such a good series. I agree with you, Lashawn. Uh, Fargo has been the best job there. So I am down for a Cohen bracket. I I, I need a reason to watch Fargo. Let's do um, it. I'll, I'll, obviously, always down for a Denny bracket, but I know we'll be uh, discussing that with the inner cuties as well. Figuring out maybe even doing the bracket with them, and then figuring out which ones they would want to see. Uh, an episode four. Yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In fact, we should thank those patrons, the yeah, wonderful sure. intercuties who do support our show. Uh, they are in the Academy tier. Tushar, Cademan, uh, I'm messing with the screen here. Tushar, Cademan, Connor, Josh, brain. May, Ricky, Joe, Tyler, and Benji. And then, of course, a Big thanks to the producer-level patrons, Yudin, Veer, and Toon. We really appreciate your continued support of the show. And if you, too, would like to support this podcast, you can head over to patreon.com slash intercutpod, where you can sign up for patron benefits, like early access to uh, certain intercut episodes that we record ahead of time. You can sometimes get a look at our uh our outlines before we record for the podcast. And you also get a chance to, you know, talk with us on our monthly patron Google Hangouts, which we uh, normally do every month. We got a little bit lost in the sauce in Utah, uh, in Park City, and we uh, missed, we, we weren't able to uh, get that one done, but we will, uh, we will. Uh, make up for it very soon with another Google Hangout. So if you want to join up with us, talk about those Sundance movies, get an early look at what the villain Villeneuve, or t- I keep doing the fucking uh, Lights, Camera, Jackson thing. Uh, Villeneuve bracket. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm going to get you a button, not even with the correct pronunciation, but I know, just his version hit, of it. Hit Villeneuve. Denny, uh, Villeneuve. <laughs> Villeneuve. Uh, if you want to get an early look at that Villeneuve bracket, you want to look at our Cohen Brothers bracket and p- play along, uh, you can do that by signing up over at patreon.com slash intercutpod. Sounds good. We're going to have all those brackets getting broken down for you very soon. But in the meantime, we have the most important part of the show. The upcoming movies. We have yeah. so many good stuff that is on the horizon. Here are a couple of our selections that we think you should keep an eye out for. At least the big things that are, are going to be sticking out. Lisa Frankenstein. You got your tickets to, uh, to Lisa Diablo Fra- Cody? To Lisa Fricks. Hey, Diablo Cody hey. said that this is going to be uh, one of her most profound scripts. And I don't know if you heard, already spoiled that it may or may not be connected to a previous movie of hers. 
I, I did hear that, uh, which I'm sure will be exciting for a lot of people. I don't really care at all wow. about that. Okay. Um, but it, w it wasn't at the AMC screen on scene last night. I missed out. All right. I didn't go to the AMC screen. I didn't either. But uh, it comes out this Friday. I have a new Prime Theater near me. I'm excited to go see what it's going to be okay. like. But I feel okay. like I already saw this uh, at Sundance and it was called Your Monster. <laughs> but... Hey, it's our Valentine's Day movie of this week leading up to the holiday. Uh, they're also doing a bunch of reissues, dude. Like, what a slow day in movies. We have the reissue to Dune that is coming out. Uh, I don't think I'll be going out for this one yet because Tenet is coming out the, what, two weeks afterwards? Let's go. I'm going to be traveling for Tenet because they're going to be giving out film strips. Zach, do not miss out on the opportunity for that one, please. The, the film strip for Tenet looks so cool. So they advertise that they're giving out the film strips at the AMC Lincoln Square, that big IMAX near me, but they're doing mm -hmm. it specifically at showings that happen while we're at South By. Then not don't go to me. South By. Yeah. Wait, how <laughs> are we going to be at South By if Tenet is in February? Oh, maybe it's the – actually, no, it's Dune 2 that they're doing the film strips for. So they're they're doing Dune the two premieres Dune a week 2 film before. strips. Yeah, but they're, the only, giving them, they're only giving them out on the – yeah, and it's not even just the second week. It's the Sunday 11.30 showings. They're, like, worried about filling the theater or something like that. And they're giving out – Film I'm strips. Go, bro. I, 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 I have not Cancel heard South of the Dune 2 film strips. I heard that there are some Nope ones that they never gave out that are out there. Ooh. I have the Oppenheimer ones. I'm getting the Tenant ones. If there's a Dune one, I'm going to keep an eye out for it. Um they're also reissuing all of these over here. I don't know if you've seen any of the, uh, what was it, 2021 movies that never got a release for Disney because they decided to put all the Pixar stuff over on streaming. But in January, they re-released Soul, finally in theaters. They are re-releasing Turning Red for February, and then in March, it's going to be Luca. Uh, I think it's pretty cool. Allows them to put it out there. I also worry that it's some finagling, and that's why it took until 2024 because it allows them to be able to cut it up uh, box office wise. I'm not really sure. It allows them to have the theatrical run that they wanted. Yada, 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 yada. You get your Pixar movies out in theater. Um, but they, I think they're still out on uh, Disney Plus. So if you wanted to watch them there, they are there as well. Yeah, it just feels like, unfortunately, too late uh, for these movies Bro, that way too would late. probably be much better experienced on the big screen. And I, I don't get why they dragged. Yeah. So. Keep an eye out for those uh, in theaters, but then also just at home. We have Tokyo Vice Season 2, a series that I think you liked a little bit more than I did, but it comes from Michael Mann, so uh, you know it's going to have some uh, really good yeah. sequences, really good I, colors. I kind of don't think – I don't know if he's back for Season 2 because he only directed, I think, two episodes from that first season. Really? Yeah. Um. Uh, so but gone. the world was pretty intriguing. Uh, I didn't make it through the first season, but Amanda did. And I, I believe she thought it was really interesting. So she'll probably be uh, sticking with season two. I might try to catch up. I did finish the season one to this next one. So that's how I can say that I'm confidently now looking forward to season two of Halo. But it is coming out on Paramount+. Plus. If you're watching the Super Bowl, you are going to probably get bombarded by a bunch of these Halo ads. He is in that iconic, already infamous commercial of Picard throwing a... Uh, Hey Arnold. Yeah, like a football. <laughs> uh, but Halo Season 2 is going to be out, so you can get all of those uh, very big questions answered from Season 1. Um, One Day is coming out to Netflix. It is an adaptation. It is a miniseries of the movie starring... Uh, what is the name? I'm blanking on it. Princess Diaries? What, Anne Hathaway? Anne Hathaway was in the movie version of One Day. Do you remember that? No, I don't. 
Okay, so there was a movie called One Day that came out. It was pretty big. It was like a big romance movie because uh, it was based off of a book. This is the TV version of that. You never seen the? Wait, is this the one where there's like a sudden car crash thing that happens, or am I just mi- mixing it up with a different? Thing. So this was a Netflix and chill movie for us, so I can't really tell you what happened in one day, right? <laughs> but this is one day. I remember the poster clear as day because that's the only thing I saw. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's like they're reliving the same day over and over and over again. Okay. Either way, I mean, like, it, it held up. People really like this one. This was back in 2011, dude, so it's been a while. They are remaking it, and Netflix bought the rights for it to be an entire miniseries. Uh, they seem to be hyping it up a lot, so we'll see if it's, I don't know, more in-depth to the book, because now they have more time with it. So that'd be the last selection over here for the coming attractions to keep on your radar if you're interested. I got a top three that I'm making a top four. Ooh, we have stretching. some streaming pickups that are finally in places that people can see. I think more people have Paramount Plus or Showtime, whatever you want to call it, than most other services. And now you have one of the best movies and the Academy Award nominated best picture, Past Lives, available to watch at home on Paramount Plus. I think it's definitely worth the stream. Uh, some people may not have given this time of day because they thought it was too slow to go see in theaters, maybe too much to pay that $15, $20. If you have Paramount Plus, Give this a watch. It is one of the best movies of the year. Yeah, absolutely. Another one, right? We, we've been saying that since we saw it at Sundance a year ago. So, A real pain for next year. Paramount, yeah. if you pick up that one. Uh, the next one that I have is one from TIFF that got shortlisted. Didn't make it all the way, right? I don't think Promised nope. Land got the nom. Um, but in my heart, it did uh, solidify a spot. It is out in theaters right now. And I think it is worth watching as my lights fall, in theaters because it stars Mads Mikkelsen as this bastard person who after the war decides that he's going to take a bastard land that nobody believes can create anything and takes all of the people that nobody wants, all of the outside settlers, and starts doing something with it. And I think it's a good underdog story that uh, had some really good cinematography, some cliche moments, but it worked for me. It's out in theaters now. Um, The next double up that I have here that I saw you kind of switching about on me, um, it's a duo of music documentaries. The first one is a miniseries. It's three parts. Just started it over on Peacock. And it's pretty decent, dude. Kings from Queens is such a good name for this. It is the story of Run DMC and everything that's happened to them. I will say, you're, maybe it's on me. I'm dumb, right? But bro, tell me why I see Rev Run come out. And I'm like, Alina goes, isn't he the guy with the accusations? I'm like, no, 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 that's Russell Simmons. She goes, I don't know. It looks a lot like Russell Simmons. <laughs> Then Red Rum goes, so my brother Russell, <laughs> I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know, Zach. Yeah, yeah. Uh, small world, the, the yeah, origins of hip-hop. Russell Simmons coming in from Bali. They sent the camera crew out there. <laughs> you know, when, you decent... put, when you put this on the rundown, I, I just grant, glanced over it very quickly, and I thought, are you recommending the Kevin James stand-up special? No, no, no. I am also uh, <laughs> recommending Irregardless from Kevin James. Yes. Uh, no, this, this, it's a pretty good music doc um, that's out there. They get a, uh, uh, several good talking heads, and uh, obviously the archives that they're able to run through is pretty interesting. So if you don't know much about Run DMC, I think this is perfect for you. And if you do, I, I think it's a good uh, look back at their career, uh, as well as this one. I am sure a lot of this footage was already out there. I caught this at Sundance. Only to find out that this came out like literally in the midst of Sundance. The Greatest Night in Pop goes through the making of the iconic We Are the World song. Did you get the chance to catch this yet? No, uh, this is probably top of my list for when we're done streaming, though. 
it is such a delight to watch, dude. You have so many celebrities. Just footage of them interacting with each other would be enough. But the way that you see them actually get nervous because they're recording in front of other artists, it's so funny. It's such an interesting look at the creative process. Um, and it's such an iconic song that I think just seeing, you know, maybe footage that people haven't seen uh, adds a, a whole other element to it that I think people would be excited to revisit. So The Greatest Night in Pop, kind of standard. It's still a pretty good documentary uh, in terms of music. Yeah. It's, it's very brisk. I mean, I see, feel like sometimes, you know, sometimes you recommend a documentary because the style is so remarkable and the filmmaking is so beautiful. Right? And then sometimes you just recommend a documentary because they've they got, got great stuff <laughs> They got in the it. stuff. <laughs> they got the stuff. Yeah. You know? Peter yeah. Jackson didn't need to do anything with that Beatles footage. He just had it. <laughs> he he had said, the let stuff. me take her a little bit. Yeah. I want to see the stuff. It's a good one, dude. Um it's a good one. So check that one out. And then my last one, brand new pick. This is a show that we've been catching up with. It should be Showtime, but it's on Paramount Plus. The mm-hmm. Woman in the Wall. It is a fascinating series um, that's got a really good lead performance from I'm sure I get it right, Ruth Wilson, who left her last series. I don't know if you ever read about that affair stuff. She just yeah. like, we are not going to finish the series. I'm yeah. gone. I don't like this working place. And she dipped. I think she finished out His Dark Materials, but this is her next big show. And uh, it, it, it's one, you can't stream it on Apple TV with their, without there being a glitch. So just a warning there. I don't know. It, it's like shot on film or it's digital to be shot on film. So there's this weird glitch to it. I don't know. If you deal with that, let me know. But I, I looked it up and it turns out a couple of people have been dealing with that. Interesting. Um, but nonetheless, if you like streaming off Showtime off of like your native Apple TV app, uh, you get a very fascinating story and where you're kind of getting into the psyche of these characters and trying to figure out who's in the right, who's in the wrong, who's in the wrong, but should be in the right type stuff. And uh, everyone involved has uh, really good performances. So Woman in the Wall will be my selection for pick of the week that I'm catching up on. What do you Very got, cool. I got three things that I'm re- going to recommend. My first one is The Return of Abbott Elementary. One of our favorite shows is back for a third season that I'm assuming is going to be uh, a bit truncated just because of the strikes, that they won't get that full like 22-episode yeah. run that they did last year. But that's okay, too, because uh, sometimes, you know, it, it you can stick with it more if it's a smaller package. I enjoy uh, just spending time with all these characters, and this has kind of become like the... ABC show so I feel like as they've won a bunch of awards and Quinta's ascended into this like you know big name in Hollywood they've also allowed the show to become bigger and and do more and um, it seems like they are adding to the cast bringing back guest stars and just generally blowing out this world as much as they can uh, for a show like this one so I'm just happy to spend more time with all these people that I like and these uh, really really funny uh, actors as well. So Abbott, I'll definitely be sticking with it for the third season, uh, a show, a, a movie that made me laugh way more than even Abbott did has found its way to Netflix somehow down low. The, the underrated pick from intercut from last year that we all loved out of South by Southwest is landing on a service where maybe it has a chance to be seen by some people. I, I'm curious to maybe. see whether or not this just gets buried by the algorithm or people finally discover the magic of uh, Lucas Gage as your fairy gay godmother or whatever. Uh, it's really delightful, really absurd, kind of beautiful by the end as well. Just a, a real treat for sure. Um, and then my last pick is another Netflix one, probably the best non-Sundance movie I've seen. 
uh, in January that came out in January, at least uh, Orion and the dark, a really, really compelling kid story from the mind of Charlie Kaufman that I, I, I don't know, uh, just does a great job of encapsulating all the ways that the world can be scary when you're young, but ends in a really beautiful place about uh, families. I saw Caitlin gave it a four. What are you locking it in at? I might go four as well. I'm. I, that's Ooh. how I'm feeling right now, at least. Hi, right. I'm glad you yeah, got a like top a animation of the year already, right off the bat. Yeah, it's it rivaling back. Leo. <laughs> right. Well, Leo was last year, so you're in the clear there. Yeah, uh, I'm talking about the back, calendar I, year. I got past lives over on Paramount Plus that I think people should definitely have as we lead up to the uh, Oscar ceremony. Promised Land over in theaters, which I thought that had a pretty good run in terms of festivals. Sadly, did not make the uh, final list, but was still a pretty good one. Uh, King of Queens, the Run DMC story over on Peacock if you want a nice miniseries documentary dealing with music. Or maybe you just want one simple movie with all of the stars in one. Then you got uh, a good one in The Greatest Night in Pop over on Netflix. But my final pick is going to be The Woman in the Wall. If you want a nice little thriller, almost psychological, over on Paramount+, Plus, give this one a watch. Uh, my picks for the week are Abbott Elementary, the delightful sitcom returning to ABC and Hulu. Down low, the raunchy, wild a uh, movie out of South by Southwest that might even make you shed a tear by the end. Really like this one. And then Orion and the Dark is also on Netflix. A really inventive, extremely clever kids movie with a script from none other than Charlie Kaufman. Who would have thunk it? Yeah. But that is it. If it wasn't enough, two hours and one minute right Oof. there of intercut coverage after all of the other intercut coverage. But we are back after going through all of the uh, windy ups and downs of Salt Lake City. We came back with a bunch of movies uh, for y'all to look out for. And now we have a bunch of movies for y'all to look back at. Uh, we will be joining you again next week. But until then, a reminder that you can find more from me over at LME Movies on Twitter, on Letterboxd, on YouTube at Let Me Explain. But, Zach, where can people find more from you? Uh, people can find me at Zshevich across social media platforms, uh, most notably Letterboxd and Twitter. I spend way too much time on. Or you can find some videos from me at Multiplex Show, whether that's on YouTube, on TikTok, or on Instagram. You know, I was talking to some uh, college kids. I was telling you that uh, about that, and I was asking them how they keep up with film news or upcoming films. And I was surprised that most of them told me Instagram, like not the platform that I thought the really? youths were, were on. But yeah, apparently there's tons of good movie coverage on Instagram. Maybe we need to uh, post more of our reels on there. I, interesting. Yeah, I think uh, Alina's been doing the LME movies one for yeah. whenever we're like watching something for the day. And I think that gets more than Twitter X. Like they just... And wherever it is, that that's where they are, though. But Letterbox, that was a big one. One of your reviews, if I'm not mistaken, off of the text that you had on there for a horror movie. Mm -hmm. For those who didn't get the update, Zach's the biggest horror fan now. <laughs> uh, you you got to pick up from there. So yeah. even the studios um, are watching it there. Yeah, the trailer for In a Violent Nature uh, quoted. I think it was actually my, my Twitter review of it. But, mm. you know, look. Uh, Whatever the platform is. They, they they know where the people are celebrating their movies, I guess. I don't know. And the, that's why. Shout out to them. Catch Good movie. Every episode of the Intercut Podcast on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, whatever your favorite podcatcher is, we will yeah. be there. We post on X. We post on Letterboxd. We post on all of those good things. You can catch the live videos, though. 
on the main hub that we have here on youtube.com where we go through every weekend must watch every Monday it's Tuesday I know but it's it's the weekly way that we go about it a big shout out to all the inner cuties who listen live all of the patrons all of the iTunes listeners who leave us that beautiful five star review uh, don't forget to leave us a comment drop a like follow the socials over at Intercut Pod and until next time keep watching movies and we'll send you your own Dune popcorn bucket.